0: On the Empire podcast this week, we have Al Gore as the former vice president of the United States of America pops in to talk about an inconvenient sequel. Plus, we have Al Gorey as David Lowry talks about his thought-provoking latest, A Ghost Story. There's all that unusual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that hopefully won't disappear in a nuclear inferno mid-sentence. Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt, uh, back from a week's Galifantian in France. Uh, welcome to the Empire Podcast. Are we still here? Are we all still alive? Yeah, it's no so hard to tell. No one's blowing us up yet? We're good? All right.
1: Oh, right. Don't say it yet, this doesn't go out for another day. This is
0: true, this is true. Uh, fans of bits where I read out sponsorship blurb will be delighted to know that this week's episode is brought to you by Sky Atlantic, uh, which brings you exclusive new big screen drama every month. And as if to prove it, their brand new revenge thriller Tin Star is coming to your TV very, very soon. Uh, All 10 episodes starring Tim Roth. You know, Tim Roth out of Reservoir Dogs, The Hateful Eight, Pulp Fiction, and other movies not directed by Quentin Tarantino. Uh, And Christina Hendricks from Mad Men. They're in it. That's very exciting, isn't it? It's exciting. Uh, All 10 episodes are going to be available from the 7th of September. Mark it on your calendar. Tattoo it on your skin. 7th of September. Exclusively exclusively on Sky Atlantic Uh, but more on that coming up later in the podcast oh yes that is a promise not a threat Uh, this week though we'll get to that in a second this week I am joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning Uh, I don't know about tin stars but they certainly deserve gold stars for attendance in the face of terrible gags about supernatural Um, black and white Russian movies about death Uh, they are of course our geek queen Helena O'Hara, who is wearing (laughs) and I shit you not Supernatural socks. And by that I mean they're mm. socks emblazoned with the television show Supernatural. They don't float in the air and produce ectoplasm. Or maybe or they do. do they?
1: <laughs> yes, I went to America last week and uh, I happened to pass a Hot Topic and I went in to I see what Hot Topic had.
0: Is that like a chocolate bar mel- heated up to it? A- because I would just melt. <laughs> it is a
1: popular geek store. Oh. Um. Yeah. And it turned out they had an entire display of Supernatural merch Uh, And I decided not to get the eyeshadow palette, uh, but instead to get some useful socks. That's amazing. So today I'm wearing um, my Team Dean socks.
0: Did you get the Sam and Dean uh, shirt? No, you didn't. You know why? Because you never (laughs) wear any. There were loads of
1: shirts. They don't sell There were loads of shirts. Most of them had no sleeves, but there were loads of them.
0: Are they sleeveless? No,
1: they're not. They're always wearing shirts, Chris. Right. This is part of their appeal. I like plaid shirts, and they're always wearing plaid shirts. So when
0: they're not wearing shirts, which is always, all the time, oh my, my understanding, there are abs, there are ab a lot of abs, abs, big abs.
1: Look, there are abs there under the shirt, but you just have to use your imagination.
0: Ah, uh-huh. okay. I <laughs> see why you like the show. Um, well, this is a coincidence, because I literally Aud- just ordered a sickle
2: <laughs> from the art house <laughs> shop. <laughs> that sells Amazing. art house stuff. Amazing. The Bergman corner of the art house shop. Wow. Yeah. Bergman's your favorite superhero, isn't he? Top
1: Bergman. Bergman,
2: Bergman. <laughs> certainly is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Give me twenty minutes, I'll think of another funny one.
1: <laughs> Bergman's warehouse. No. Bergman's. Were- well, men's warehouse. Top, top no. Bergman. I tried Top Bergman, it didn't really work. Uh, no. Mm. Yeah. Okay.
0: Anyway, should we go on with the show?
1: <laughs> I just I'm, I'm, there's something to do with Spang I'm sure. I just can't think what it is. I haven't had an intro.
0: Get on with you know. the show. I wasn't
2: doing. I did. I, I. Oh, no, you just. i tell you. i tell you why
0: you I wasn't going to format. I, I wasn't going to do an intro uh, for either of you this week. Um, that's because I thought Al Gore was in this very booth just uh, eight hours ago. With talking to James Dyer, you're going to hear the interview very, very soon. Al Gore. I cannot stress enough the former Vice President of the United States, a man who was who came within a hair's breadth of becoming actual president. Uh, was in this booth. He wasn't lost. He was here he, on purpose, talking about his new movie and inconvenience sequel. Uh, and he, he'll be up later on. And it got me thinking he is possibly the most important person we've had in this podcast. He is, isn't he? He's the most powerful person we've <laughs> yes, had in this podcast, he right? Is, yes. Okay, he clicks his fingers and you know people just go
1: well, no. That's my but...
0: understanding anyway. Uh, so it got me thinking, I was going to ask you guys a question, which is why I didn't give you a uh. traditional introduction if I'd known Helen was wearing supernatural socks Phil I would have concocted something hilarious about there being a I don't know a store called Top Bergman or something and how you're wearing like Werner Herzog boxers Um. and how they're cold and (laughs) inhuman and (laughs) and unfeeling but uh, I I didn't know that so I didn't have time but I thought I was going to ask you guys who's the most powerful person you've ever met
2: Meryl Streep (laughs) genuinely really the most powerful person I've ever met in terms of like, traditional you, sorts of metrics of power like,
0: have you met like a prime minister have you met a president have you met a vice president James has met a vice president now I think that's pretty cool
1: uh, yeah but he's not a vice president anymore is he
0: Well, you're always vice president aren't you they still call you vice this, president yeah alcohol, but like they still you it's not like you're still,
1: you're still like stepping into the oval
0: office you were president of the babsock right <laughs> so they still call you that right when Obviously, you go back to because
1: yeah. that very much is still a going concern <laughs>
0: When you go back to Oxbridge with Batgirl.
1: That is offensive.
0: You that know, is offensive. You know, which one were you? Oxford, Cambridge? Oxford. Oxford. Jesus. Okay.
1: Wouldn't be caught dead with those light blue motherfuckers.
0: They I'm footlights. kidding. They did Footlights. Foot- yeah, they do have the Footlights, yeah. What is Oxford, what's Oxford University ever given the world of comedy?
1: Um, the other half of Monty Python. Yeah, good point. Thank you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um... <laughs> But apart from but apart no no, from, no no okay, have you ever met anyone like properly powerful? Like properly I met powerful when when uh, I was a proper journalist. I met David Trimble back when he was the first minister of Northern Ireland, that's and pretty that's good. that's pretty powerful. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, my wife drinking game has met several prime ministers in the course of her job. Sure, uh, she also had in terms of in terms of real power. Um, I'm sure we said this in the podcast before, but she had the the Spurs manager, uh, former Spurs manager, Andre. Fia. Phyllis Phyllis Bowes in her ca- in our car. He was in our car. She gave him a lift to the train station.
1: Can you imagine?
0: That's real power. I wouldn't.
1: I mean, is it? I, I mean, it say is.
2: He controls the levers of the
0: state. Exactly. He can make he can make defenses crumble with just mm. a click of his fingers.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Um, I am going to think of some probably as soon as we finish recording. But I can't think of any, many now. I met the Spanish ambassador to Ireland once. You know? <laughs> no, that's terrible. <laughs> well, hey, have you uh, met the Taoiseach? No. Okay. Although my mum went to school <laughs> with the former president. Wow. Yeah,
0: so that's pretty cool. So we've met famous people, but they're like, you know, the real famous people. Yeah, but some of
1: them are Aren't very they? powerful and important people. I've been right. in a room with Steven Spielberg. You've probably met him.
0: I, um, I, I that's guess. a powerful man Yeah,
1: Kevin Feige has been in not this very booth but our old very booth
0: our old very booth <laughs> you know <laughs> he is he's a, he's a powerful man
1: yeah John yeah. Lasseter we've, we've met John Lasseter yeah.
0: Kevin Feige is so powerful he gets other people to shake your hand that's how, <laughs> that's how powerful he is
1: <laughs> is it? yeah it is sure.
0: it's, it's, it's almost certainly what happens uh, Phil have you met anyone no. famous? and if it makes you as
2: insufferable as has made James today then I'd like to <laughs> I'd like to keep it that way if possible has he been I mean seriously it's really hard to tell he's been playing on the, a scale of I insufferability I need to meet Al Gore uh, card pretty hard yeah Ooh. pretty hard in the lead up and <laughs> pretty hard afterwards
3: I once weird.
1: went to a book signing by Mikhail Gorbachev but I didn't get to meet him because the line was too long and they cut it off <laughs> so that's a great story I think but I was in the area I was in the vicinity of Al Gore what no Al Gore Mikhail Gorbachev, Mikhail same, Gorbachev. Thing.
0: It, it, same thing <laughs> wow I
2: once chaperoned Jimmy Carr.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He's powerful if you're into light entertainment. (laughs) (laughs) Bring me the head of light entertainment. Um, Okay, well, have a think about it. If anyone pops into your head, anyone politically... Yeah, I'm unlikely to have forgotten that I I once met
2: Helmut Kohl or something. It's unlikely to have slipped my mind. Mm. So I think okay. we can safely move on from that. All, right. okay. yeah,
0: All right, okay. All right, but we'll try and meet someone famous by next week. Yeah. All right. So that's a question from me, um, and obviously that backfired massively. Should we have a question from <laughs> from uh, listeners? Sure. We should probably do that, shouldn't we? So uh, here is a question that you guys really like. Uh, you insisted that we do it in this week's podcast. Uh, this is from at C Hammond movie, and he says, "My in Law created a game recast Heat with only British actors." dead or alive a simple I mean for the Sandra Bullock role right away you're going to go for Jodie Whittaker right for the Melissa McCarthy oh Wait, heat heat <laughs> not,
1: no, no definite article there Chris just heat not the heat
0: alright okay just so heat. close recast heat with only British actors dead or alive and uh, C. Hammond movie has done it for us sure to, to mock uh, or to go well done sure alright so uh, Robert De Niro in the role of Robert in the role of Robert De Niro <laughs> um Hang on a second! I've forgotten their names. In role of uh, Neil Macaulay, uh, Tom Hardy. Okay, Neil right. Macaulay, Tom All Hardy. Right. Al Pacino is Vincent Hanna. Michael F. Asbender.
1: Well, no, there's one problem with that, isn't there?
0: Not British. He's not British. No, you're yeah, right. He's he's uh, German Irish. Uh, Tom, what? It's true. I yeah, know it is. It just sounds weird. <laughs> Tom Sizemore in the unforgettable role of Tom Sizemore. Uh, Idris Elba. Okay. Uh huh. Fal Kilmer. As I honestly, I love this movie to bits, and I can't remember any of these character names. <laughs> so please, God, uh, what's Val Kilmer's character name? Chris,
1: Chris
0: Yes, thank you. Chris Scheherlis, uh will be played by Dan Stevens. John Foyd as uh, creepy fence man uh or will be played Nate. by. Thank you. Thank you. You've got it on the googles. <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah. Good. All right. So wherever I lack, you can fill in. All right. Sure. Uh John Foyd as creepy Nate will be Mark Rylance. Uh, Danny Ooh. Trejo as
1: Hang on, hang on. Oh, wait,
0: it's Treo. He plays Treo. I'm pretty sure of it. I'm pretty sure he plays either a character called Danny or a character called Trejo.
1: He does, you're
0: correct. Uh, Jack O'Connell. Ashley mm. Judd as Christian Chahurlis' wife, Charlene, will be Sienna Miller. Right. Diane Fenora as Justine Hanna, uh, wife of Vincent Hanna, will be played by Tilda Swinton. Amy Brenneman, who is... Ah! Uh, What's her name? The guardian? Edie. The, Edie. The character Neil McCauley falls in love with, her and then he walks away from her when he feels heat coming around the corner, and it's heartbreaking, and you go, no! Uh, she'll be played by Rebecca Hall. Uh-huh. Uh, Natalie Portman uh, will be played by Maisie Williams. And Bill Fickner, as uh, Roger Van Sant, will be played by Dominic Cooper. <laughs> All right, so that's the cast list. I've got a couple of points. First one sure. uh, Where the hell is Wayne Grow? Wayne Grow is a hugely pivotal character in this movie. He is played, of course, in Heat by the actor Kevin Gage. So my suggestion would be that he is played by the former Aston Villa midfielder Kevin Gage in <sighs> this in this movie. Uh, they're roughly the same age, mm-hmm. roughly have the same level of menace, uh, and one of them can deliver a great 40-yarder. So, Yep. No, no arguments here. No arguments there. Wayne Grow, terrifying mean, Wayne Yeah,
1: Grew. I'm a huge
0: yeah. fan of
1: yep. his. He may not mm. have played
0: for Aston Villa. I just... I it, Sure. people are probably correcting me right now but there is a fo- former footballer you must remember him Phil
2: vaguely, Kevin Gage quite a long yeah. time ago
0: but yeah vaguely what if we populate the entire movie with uh, aging like uh, Gary Mabbitt playing Vincent Hanna That'd well be
1: I'll go make a coffee
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'll go think about famous people I've met um, alright so how about it
1: I was thinking you need a you need a sort of an iconic pairing at the Mm. at the at the at the heart of this. There should be a pair of people who worked together before, or or who everybody wanted to work together before.
0: You're going to say Peg and Frost, aren't you?
1: I was going to say (laughs) Judy Dench and Maggie Smith. Actually, oh, you've
0: done you've done it.
1: I mean, they could even alternate roles. Nice in the coffee
0: shop scene. We're just sitting here like a couple of regular dames.
1: Because we are. Hmm. That's not an impression of either of them. That was just
2: the Dame voice. I had this vision of work with me here. Mm-hmm. Jim Broadbent and Michael Ooh, Gamble. Hello. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it, it, wait. That's a little In, bear. Okay. Oh. Costa coffee. Costa coffee. Toddington services oh. on the one. Just Marvellous. Head to head.
1: And no, no. I think a Cornish tea shop. Right. And they should be they should be talking over scones and tea. <laughs>
0: All right, so it's broadband and who? Uh Gambon.
1: Gambon. Oh, he's Irish again.
0: This Don't, is true. Come on. This is true. This is true. Yeah, well, these are the rules. <laughs> these are the rules. Only British actors dead or alive. You know what? I'm going to I'm going to take out dead because it's right. really creepy. Okay. And also
1: you, then you get into Richard Burton and yeah. people like that.
0: Also, they're quite limited in terms of their acting ability <gasps> once they're dead. Once they're dead. Oh, once they're dead, once yeah, they're dead. You're, that's yeah, fair. I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't do that. Uh, so you're going to keep it to Brits only. I would say that I have issues with Tom Hardy and Michael Fassbender as, as Hannah and Macaulay. Uh, they're far too young. Yeah. They're far too young.
1: Stuart McKellen. Oh,
0: my God. No.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Robert Carlyle and Ewan McGregor. Not entirely kidding.
0: Because she has a great ass. And you've got your head all the way up it
1: I mean I'm convinced
0: <laughs> Ferocious aren't I By the time I get to Phoenix she'll be rising. Carry on
1: <laughs> Okay.
0: That's good, I like that. That's good that's a good pairing. Yeah. Are they too old though? Are they too old?
1: Yes, obviously. <laughs> <laughs>
0: This is tough. You need people who are like in their Well, that's why I 50s. said
1: Carlisle and McGregor.
0: Carlisle and McGregor. Do you think McGregor's too, is he too young? McGregor. Well, this is the
1: problem that Danny Boyle had with doing a transporting sequel. He's right. like, for years, they just looked too well-preserved. They looked exactly the same. Yeah. And that's why he kept putting off doing T2 until recently.
0: Right, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But now they're vaguely slightly aging. They still look good, don't get me wrong, but like you know, they're looking more like men in their at least 40s now.
2: You've got to cast Ray Winston in this somewhere, haven't you? Oh yeah, the Sizemore like, role, legally. presumably. No, he's got to be John Voight or Danny Trejo,
1: or <laughs> Danny Trejo, or <laughs> yeah. any of
2: them. Yeah, apart from maybe Amy,
0: Amy Brenneman.
1: Yeah, he's not ideally weird. suited for her, I guess.
0: Um, why? Why is uh, Big Driss being relegated to Thomas Sizemore role?
1: Yeah, that seems wrong.
0: Stick him up front, mm. Kilmer. Big Driss, right? As he would be an excellent uh, De Niro De Niro yeah mm-hmm. Big who do you Liam put
1: off- Big oh, Liam no, that's interesting
0: Liam Cunningham Liam Cunningham <laughs> <laughs> remember he changed his name after he got married so it's uh, Liam Cunningham knee son uh-huh. um, oh. okay and uh, so Big nice. Big Liam mm-hmm. versus Big Driss Oof. I I predict big explosions it should be a lot of fun those two rounded the, the coffee table there wouldn't be room quite frankly <laughs> You'd have to have a bigger, table. you'd have to have a bigger Kate Mantellini's. Okay, uh, that could work. Gregs, that could work. <laughs> in Gregs, <laughs> Gregs. So
1: then, who goes in the Kilmer role in that case? Is it, is it Chiwetel Ejiofor? I think he'd be a good Kilmer in this, one, in that one.
0: Kilmer again? Yeah, he'd be very mm. good. I like that. What about David E. I have his name. Yeah, on I down. had
1: his name done as the well. Al
0: Pacino role, though.
1: Interesting. He doesn't,
0: he, I don't think he has the. He's he's too reserved, David. Yeah, he's,
1: yeah, that's probably true. He, he he could do the Kilmer role. I don't think he could do the Pacino role for the Pacino role you need somebody who can turn it up to 12
0: yeah can big Liam turn it up to 12 I think he can I yeah. think he can and he's think he, we
1: know he's good he's good at phone acting which is important oh, yeah. for this as well mm. so.
0: very good at phone acting and and Pacino in hate never says goodbye I think I think Neeson could really do that I think he could just hang up on you you bastard and then just put the phone down there you go <laughs> alright so alright so are we, are, we, are we going with that we're we going with that we got Edris uh, Elba as De Niro we got what's his Uh Liam Neeson as <laughs> Gino. <Albigino. laughs> we've got Chiwetel Echiorfor as uh, Tom Sizemore's character who of course we all know Helen is called
1: hang on hang on I'm scrolling <laughs> Gary <laughs> Michael Chirito
0: <gasps> Michael yes of course uh, who's going to play Jeremy Piven and more to the point who's going to play Jeremy Piven's original hairline
1: <laughs> oh
0: so the foul Kilmer I like the casting of Dan Stevens I think that's a good one
1: really it's just, okay. Empire's
0: former spirit animal, Dan Stevens. I mean, Dan I love Stevens.
1: him. I just, I don't feel him for that character, but okay.
0: You don't feel him for that character? Why not? What's I, wrong? I
1: don't know. It's just, yeah. Yeah.
0: What are you going against the Steves?
1: I mean, nothing. I just, mm. you know. Okay. Because of the restraining order. I mean,
0: no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, John Foyt, Mark Rylance. I'm not 100% convinced, but I, I think it should be uh, McKellen or Stewart. Or McKellen and Stewart.
1: Alternating roles. Uh, alternating seats. Yep. You know it makes sense. It's
0: the only way to go, quite frankly. Um, Danny Trejo, played by Jack O'Connell. I I think that's a small role to relegate Jack O'Connell. I think you give that uh, to a young up-and-coming actor who's just been released from prison. I think that's...
1: (laughs) (laughs) Presumably the prison thing is what made them think of Jack O'Connell. Because of Startup, not because Uh... he's spent a lot of time in prison personally. (laughs) (laughs) Just to be clear.
0: (laughs) All right, fair enough uh, as 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 your lawyer. <laughs> I think we should stop this now. Uh Ashley Judd. So probably the biggest female lead in the movie. And Sienna Miller. Uh, mm. That's a fine got her name, casting. Yeah, okay, that's why I've got her name written down
2: because it's been written it's down, written been list, written down yeah. for you.
1: Um how about Hayley Atwell?
0: Well, now if you're just going to say names of people I like, then I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah, let's go for it. Uh would yeah. Okay, so Diane Fenora, Tilda Swinton, so she's meant to be playing Liam Neeson's wife. Do we buy that partnership? Do we um, buy that? Is I that-
1: actually had her down as a possible Pacino character. Oh. So, um, so I would, I would She'd definitely She'd be good. Not- Yeah, wouldn't she? So oh. I wouldn't put her in a wife role, no.
0: Oh What about Rebecca Hall? She's
1: too young. What For about- Liam Neeson, she's like half his age.
0: Oh, Liam Neeson? Yeah, this is Liam Neeson's wife, so... Okay.
1: Although, like, Liam Neeson's wife on screen is usually about half his age. But even so...
0: Emma yeah. Thompson. Emma Thompson. That's good. That's good. It's good. That it? is good. And obviously they've got the Love Actually connection going on there Same. as well. Yeah, I like that. That's good. Um uh, Wayne Grove, that's forget about Kevin Gage, the former footballer. That's go for it has to be I can't believe this that C. Hammond movie left off Wayne Grove from this list. That is that's a huge oversight. Andy Circus. Andy Circus is Mo-cow. Wayne Grove. As everybody, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Andy Circus's Swangro, do we do we like that? What? Have you seen? Have Elephant
2: Have you seen Brighton Rock, the remake? The
0: I think it was Rowan Joffey. Rowan Joffe, uh, who of course worked on Tin Star. Oh
2: my word! Yes, <laughs> yeah. showrunner. Tell me more about yeah. Tin Star,
0: Chris. Uh, well, I will let's interrupt very this. very soon. I will be telling you more about oh, Tin Star from I Rowan Joffe. So. That long. How long well, do we have well to you're wait? gonna you're gonna have to wait because we haven't finished this yet. Okay. Then we got the Al, Al Gore. Right. going going to Wayne Rock. Um, of course, Annie Circus plays it's a... from Rowan Joffe, and shut up, Chris. Why would I not have seen it?
2: <laughs> Annie Circus plays a very, very good sort of spiv-like Cockney gangster. I think oh, uh, he could, yeah. he, could uh, he could nail that role. Although wow. Wayne Grove's more of a sort of neo-Nazi. Wait,
1: no, is this going to be time. like a an, a British remake of Heat? I mean, or is this nice set in, like, London instead of Los Angeles? Well, like, yes. Welcome to the Park. Because then, yes. if there what was a Cockney originally, originally if he was a Cockney originally, maybe he should be not a Cockney now.
0: I think you give this role to Paddy Constantine. He knocks out the park. Yep. He gets a BAFTA nomination. Boom. But cruelly loses out to Jim Broadbent for Paddington too. No. Oh, I'm terribly sorry, Paddy. Oh, it's a little bear, he says. Um... Natalie Portman played by Maisie Williams, who I think is too old for this role. Uh, do we know any young up-and-coming British actresses who might play that role?
1: We probably do, but we've forgotten them.
0: Yeah, we do. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And uh, William Fichtner uh, played by Dominic Cooper. Uh, that's, that's decent, I can see. There's, there's a certain amount of sliminess that Dominic Cooper could bring to that role. I think that would work. Uh, people who are left off this, obviously. There's no Hiddlebatch. There's no Cumberston. There's none of those great British actors. Are we annoyed about that? Do we think that, you know, Cumberbatch would be a good Bill Fichtner. He comes in, does three or four days work?
1: Yeah, no, that would work. The way he did on Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Wait, we haven't fitted Mark Strong into this anywhere. What are we doing, people?
0: Well, okay, we have got to start again. We've got
1: to start over.
0: <laughs> we've got to start again.
1: Look, leave this with us. We'll come back to <laughs> it. All
0: right. So here's here's my idea. So the the dogged cop is played by James McAvoy. The dogged criminal is played by Mark Strong. It, the, Wait maybe it a takes minute. Takes place against the backdrop of Canary. No, okay. I feel like
1: right. I, I feel like maybe that's been done. Welcome you know, they're making lunch.
2: the film about the Hatton Garden robbery. I've pleaded and begged with them not to, but they're they are. doing it. Yes. And it's got Jim Broadbent,
0: Ooh,
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Michael Gambon, Michael Caine, Tom Courtney, Ray Winston. It's yeah. kind of this. That's a good
1: cast. Yeah, it that's is, a good cast. Yeah. It's kind of this. But okay. Older,
2: but sort of blue rince <laughs> here.
1: Right. any of those guys could still beat us up, let's be respectful. Oh, yeah.
0: I don't think that's good Okay, Broadbent maybe not all of them, but most of them. A, I don't think Jim Broadbent's ever been able to beat anyone up. Do you know he I was going to be Del Boy? I think he could be. He was going to be Del Boy. Huh. Yeah. Then, I mean, then he wasn't. Uh, right. So that's that's that nailed. That's a good cast, I'd go and see that film. Sure. Yeah. You could shave twenty minutes off the running time as well. Be fine. Uh, what would we call it? London Heat. <laughs> mm, um. Tepid.
1: Yeah, <laughs> tepid. <laughs> it was lukewarm.
0: If you want to have your question read out in the Empire Podcast, and why the hell would you not? um, You can do so via all kinds of methods, carry a pigeon. Uh, FedEx, usual ways. But you can find us on Twitter where we're at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast like C. Hammond Movie did. He also tweeted us directly, which sometimes helps. Um, And you can also get in touch with us on Facebook where we're at Empire Magazine and you can email us as well at podcast at empireonline.com. And hey, don't forget, in just over a month, September 16th, Saturday, September 16th, we're going to be live. Our next live Empire Podcast is going to be coming to you from the London Podcast Festival in the prestigious... Well, I decided that it's prestigious uh, Saturday night slot. Uh, we're all very, very excited about that. We'd love to see you there. If you haven't already booked tickets, uh, you can do so at www. Oh, sorry, what's it, Brian? Double W. <laughs> Full stop. Double W. Double W. <laughs> <laughs> I love Butterfield. Butterfield. Brian Butterfield I love him so much Podcast. he got his name wrong mm-hmm. uh, www.kingsplace.co.uk uh, and if you book for three or more London Podfest events because there are tons of podcasts that'll be doing live shows at the uh, festival over the weekend uh, some really really great ones big big ones like my dad wrote a porno I think it's going to be there that, that sort of thing uh, you can save 15% your ticket price I checked today that the uh, there are two ticket prices there's a £9.50 for members that's gone those are all sold out the only tickets that are left are sixteen pounds fifty. Now I know that seems like a lot. Oof. That seems like a lot to see four idiots who don't know what they're talking about not know what they're talking about live, but believe me, it'll not be worth it. That's, but please
2: that's four pounds per idiot.
0: That's four, is that good value or not? No, that's four pounds 12, 12 pence. It's That's four pounds twelve and a half pounds, pence, pounds, and and half pence per idiot. Oh. Plus don't forget our super wait special, stupendous star guest. Um that I haven't locked down yet you I will. Jim it's me as Jim Broadbent <laughs> talking about Tin Star oh I love Tin Star it's got a little bear oh, um, that's worth s- how much is it? That's, that's, that's- the price is coming down
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: we will pay Who's? you £16.50 <laughs> <laughs> so anyway come along see the podcast uh, you know and then it's a Saturday night and then mm. we'll all go out afterwards we'll all go back to Phil's yep. and, that's uh, mine. and get hammered mm. <laughs> Hell and as win. is
1: our want <laughs>
0: All right, so there we go. Um, the Empire Podcast Live, September 16th at the King's Place in London. Uh, okay, time now for our first guest. Uh, he is not a filmmaker by trade, largely because he was too busy with his day job as, oh, I don't know, the vice president of the freaking United States. Um, but when he dipped his toe into the rapidly rising waters of filmmaking with an inconvenient truth a few years ago, Al Gore, for it is he, set out to highlight and tackle the growing crisis crisis the growing crisis of climate change on this here flat earth of ours. Um, now he's back with an inconvenient sequel, colon, Truth to Power, which picks up the story and shows how far we've come and how much farther we have to go before we're all turned into smoking fireballs, presumably. Um, so here you go. Very excited about this can't actually believe this this has brought a touch of much-needed class to the empire podcast uh it is the man who was once the the second most powerful human being on the planet but enough about james dyer because he was talking to al gore enjoy
1: don't encourage him
3: a very special guest today on the empire podcast uh it is an oscar-winning filmmaker the former Vice President of the United States, the winner, I kid you not, of the Nobel Peace Prize, a man whose job is quite literally saving the world, is Mr. Al Gore. Welcome,
4: sir. <laughs> Good morning. Thank you. That, now, that Oscar went to Davis Guggenheim, the director of the first movie. I want to give him uh, credit where it's due, but thank you. Good to be here. Absolutely. Now, you uh, gave us a wake-up call
3: Uh, 11 years ago with An Inconvenient Truth, a rather stark warning about the dangers of of global warming, and you're back now with an inconvenient sequel, Truth to Power. Um, I went into this film, I guess, expecting a kind of slightly downbeat, you know, Mad Max is now a a sort of documentary, you know, bleak vision of how we're all going to die, but it's actually quite an optimistic film in many ways. Mm. Um, That was quite surprising. Did you think, when you made An Inconvenient Truth, that this is where we'd be at this point in time?
4: Well, I didn't know for sure. I had hoped we would make progress. And if you uh, take an overview of the decade since the first movie, there are really two big changes in the last decade. The first is that the climate-related extreme weather events are unfortunately far more common and more destructive. Yeah. You just had yesterday a week's worth, month's worth of rain in one day. In my country, the cities of New Orleans and Miami were flooded by these rain bombs last week. Uh, Every night on the TV news is like a nature hike through the book of Revelation. But the second big change in the last decade has been that the solutions are here now. Uh, Ten years ago, they were visible on the horizon, but you had to have the technology experts Mm -hmm. assure you they'll eventually get here. But now they're here and they're still coming down rapidly in cost. And we're, we're beginning to make some real progress. Where does the UK
3: stand sort of among the countries that are doing things for, to combat this?
4: Well, it's a mixed bag. Uh, it looks as if uh, the UK is going to be challenged uh, to meet the commitments it's made under the Paris Agreement because some policy changes have been put off. Uh, I don't want to meddle in your politics here in the UK. We have our own <laughs> hands full in the yeah. in the US, but uh, the UK actually gets more electricity from wind than from coal now. And as the price of both wind and solar continues to drop, and as electric vehicles become much more affordable, mm-hmm. and as other changes uh, are introduced, I think our ability to solve this crisis is going to get better, and, and perhaps that will make it easier for the UK and other countries to meet the commitments. What well,
3: was interesting. I mean, you mentioned wind power in the UK. I think uh, what your documentary does more than anything, I think, is educate people. And certainly I was very much under the impression, as I think a lot of people are, that in some way renewable energy sources were less efficient and perhaps not up to the task of taking over from traditional energy production. And obviously according to the film, that's not the
4: case at all. It is not the case. It was the case, but luckily, solar and wind and other technologies have turned out to respond to both research and development and the scaling uh, of production with much lower uh, costs. Mm. The world gets more energy from the sun in one hour than the entire global economy uses for an entire year. So as we increase the fraction of that we can harvest and use uh, productively, affordably, then the solutions uh, are definitely now available. Do you
3: think that's
4: in some ways the biggest battle? It's,
3: it's awareness, it's changing people's perceptions, because there seems to be so much disinformation about this, I think, intentionally in a lot of places.
4: Yes, of course, the carbon polluters have used the same techniques pioneered by the tobacco companies years ago when the scientific consensus linking cigarettes to lung cancer and other diseases was disputed by those profiting from mm-hmm. killing people with cigarettes, uh, and they hired actors and dressed them up as doctors and put them in front of cameras to falsely <laughs> reassure people that uh, the science was wrong, and a hundred million people died unnecessarily as a result. The carbon polluters have used the same approach, hired the same PR agents in many cases, and are performing in a very unethical, immoral way. And they've intentionally tried to inject false doubts to slow down the solutions. But a new participant in the debate has showed up, Mother Nature, uh, and she's more persuasive than any of us. And people are connecting the dots on their own and they're saying, let's get on with these solutions, particularly since they're becoming cheaper.
3: There's a wonderful quote in the film where you talk about our democracy has been hacked Mm. uh, and about how we have to fix our democracy almost before we can fix this problem. I mean, how do you tackle that? I mean, certainly, from what I understand from television, uh, so much of uh, the budgets of people in the Senate, people in Congress are Mm. paid for by these special interest groups. Particularly, whether it be big tobacco or big energy, so how do you separate that when there's such an obvious conflict of interest that doesn't serve a democratic process?
4: Yes, this has roots uh, that go back a ways. uh, When the democracy we love uh, in the U.S. and the U.K. was formed, most of the communication was in newspapers, but television changed the terms of the the discussion because. In my country, at least, the politicians came to depend on raising huge amounts of money to run these television commercials. It's a bit different over here, but uh, the same dynamic applies. We have caps on spending, which I think are quite strict. Yeah, and I wish we did in the U.S., but uh, there are constitutional uh, issues that we don't need to get into. But in any case, that's now changing because of... uh, Well, this program, for example, a podcast, uh, there are no entry barriers. You can speak directly to people. And last year in the presidential campaign, Bernie Sanders, regardless of whether you agreed with his agenda or not, he proved that it's now possible to run a, a very credible campaign without taking any money from lobbyists and special interests, but depending instead on small donations from individuals uh, sent in over the Internet. And I think that may be the future of politics. And if so, it gives us a chance to redeem the promise of a government of, by, and for the people.
3: Mm. I am – uh, met with the filmmaker, James Cameron, recently, uh, mm. who's working on four Avatar sequels. Uh, he's become very sort of uh, passionate about environmentalism and sustainable yes, agriculture. Yeah. Uh, and he mentioned during the interview, and I think he said it a few times, that he believes the single biggest thing an individual can do to fight this is to adopt sort of an animal-free diet to mm. go
4: vegan. Is that something that you would agree with? Well, um, in part... Basically, yes, Uh, but I I don't proselytize on people's uh, diets. Because I know it isn't in the film, you don't really touch that at all. Well, I do actually in the early parts of the film mention that agriculture is Mm. a big part of this problem. It is about 15%. There are people out there who say it's half or more. That's Mm. not, according to the scientists, correct. It's about 15%, which is a huge number, and within agriculture... Animal agriculture is a is a big part of the issue. Uh, I myself became a vegan five years ago, but I do respect uh, the fact that people make their own choices about diet and mm. uh, people have different theories of what makes them feel healthy. Um, there are compromises. Uh, Paul McCartney has pushed this Meatless Mondays uh, program for a while now. It's a good place to start, and if you... Talk to your cardiologist. Uh, He or she will tell you that eating less meat is good for your health. I started uh, becoming a vegan just to see what it was like for 30 days. Hmm. But then I felt better, so I've continued it. it. It is one of the things that contributes to this crisis animal agriculture.
3: So on an individual basis, because I I mean, I think think a lot of people say, what can one person do? Does it really matter if I cycle my bike to work? Uh, And obviously, if everyone thought that way, nothing would ever get done. But on an an individual basis, what do you think are the important things a person can do to, to help with this?
4: Well, first of all, learn about it. Knowledge is power, and it gives you the confidence to win the conversations on climate. And social revolutions are often won, first of all, in the conversations in a society. And Mm -hmm. only then will the laws change. And a good way to learn about it is by going to see this movie. It will be in 340 theaters for a special screening this Friday night. Tickets are still available. Uh, And then it will open broadly in the U.K. a week from Friday. But once you learn about it and you help to win the conversations, then use your vote and use your abilities as a citizen to influence the candidates and the office holders. Individual changes do matter, but as important as it is to change the light bulbs and windows, et cetera, it's more important to change the laws mm. uh, and the policies. W- we have a lot of good people trapped in bad systems. And when Uh, there is a carbon base for the entire energy system. And in the world as a whole, we still use carbon energy for 80% of all the world's energy. That's changing, uh, fortunately. But we need to change the the laws and policies. Uh, Nevertheless, it's non-trivial for individuals to be a part of the solution because it not only helps them reduce their impact, but it also sends a powerful signal to the businesses and mm. industries that there's a growing market for changing the way we make things and generate energy. It's funny.
3: It's, it often feels that environmental messaging seems to get lost in what politicians are campaigning on. I mean, it was interesting when the uh, when the presidential primaries were coming up. The Republican field. I mean, none of their nominees seemed to have any kind of right. inclination towards this. And forgive me, I'm a film journalist, so it's slightly outside my field. But it feels sometimes like environmentalism becomes a partisan issue. What is it that kind of shifts the Republican Party away from tackling this issue?
4: Well, it's mainly their heavy reliance on money Mm. from oil companies and coal and gas companies and coal-burning utility companies they've devoted an enormous amount of money to trying to bend the politicians to their will. Uh, And they've also financed uh, some of these uh, populist authoritarian political movements that uh, frighten the politicians, that they're going to uh, face uh, well-financed opponents who will do whatever the polluters want them to do. But, but, you, you know, there's a... There's a well-known law of physics that we all heard about in school that goes like this. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And what we've seen with the actions of Donald Trump uh, is an enormous reaction with an upsurge of climate activism that's unprecedented. Uh, the people are uh, speaking out, uh, and they are taking control of this dialogue and this issue, and I'm, I'm very encouraged by that. hmm i mean
3: it it 's difficult with i mean Trump in particular the fact that i mean didn't he tweeted that he thought uh climate change was invented by the Chinese to make American industry uncompetitive' it's like that 's not really helping the issue is it <laughs> well it's
4: uh it 's a distraction that uh, makes it harder to uh, solve the crisis, but I think people are seeing through that that kind of nonsense mm. do you i mean obviously we don 't want to draw into mud throwing about Trump, but I mean
3: when you see things like that and uh, and the fact that he appointed Scott Pruitt as head of the environmental protection agency there's a there's a minute where you must think the world has gone mad
4: well i've been at this for 40 years so it's not the first <laughs> setback i've encountered and uh, overall there has been progress towards solutions the paris agreement a year and a half ago was a truly historic breakthrough yeah and even though donald trump said he wants to take the us out of that agreement. He can't legally do so until the day after the next presidential election. And uh, the governors of our largest states and hundreds of mayors and business leaders have stepped forward to say, we're still in the Paris Agreement. And it looks now as if the U.S., will meet its commitments regardless of Donald Trump. Mm. And individual states seem to have taken it upon themselves to ignore him, which is helpful. (laughs) Uh, California, our largest state. Uh, If it were a country, it would be the fifth largest economy (laughs) in the world. New York State, uh, also one of our largest. Uh, You combine New York and California, they would be the third largest economy. And there are many other states that have said, we're we're moving forward without Donald Trump. Mm. Did you think... And many cities, I'm sorry to interrupt you, many cities have now taken the initiative to switch over to 100% renewable energy. And one of them in the movie is the most conservative Republican city in Texas, as they describe themselves. Uh, And in the heart of oil country, they have switched to 100% solar and wind. Their bills have gone down. Their air is cleaner. And it's kind of a side benefit that they're helping to save the future of humanity.
3: But but still, and that was very impressive, you appeal to the bottom line and suddenly you get a lot more support. Yeah, yeah, that money talks, it matters. Absolutely. Now, you forgive me, we are obviously a, primarily a film publication and a mm. TV publication. Uh, this has been unusually political for us, so I will steer it slightly back to our heartland briefly, if I may. Uh, I'm a long-standing fan of the West Wing, which was in no small part based on the administration you were a part of. Yes. Uh, and I know that they came up to Washington and met you. I just wondered what you thought of that show and also the fact that people seem to be now taking solace in that as a kind of <laughs> alternate reality. <laughs> oh,
4: yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> lots, yes. Well, I loved that show, of course. Uh, and it's interesting, isn't it, that there are so many dramas and comedies now based on uh, the White House life House of Cards is very dark, and Veep is very funny, Uh, and there there are quite a number of others. uh, But uh, I think the West Wing really did capture the kind of uh, dilemmas that people who are genuinely committed to trying to solve problems go through. I, I thought it was very well done.
3: Yeah. Uh, Tim Matheson obviously plays Vice uh, President John Waynes in that, who's slightly antagonistic in there. Were you, how do you feel about the portrayal of the Vice President in the show?
4: Well, it's an interesting job, and I was privileged <laughs> to have it for eight years. Yeah. But uh, I, I enjoyed politics, but I'm, I feel fortunate to have found ways to try to promote uh, good changes outside of the political system.
3: You know, uh, you can't get better really than saving the world. I think you've kind of,
4: in terms of career progression, you've kind of peaked when that's your your job. Well, there are a lot of people who are out there doing good work. And I I get inspired by the millions of climate activists at the grassroots level who are the real leaders of this movement.
3: Fantastic. Well, uh, everyone go out and see uh, An Inconvenient Sequel, Truth to Power, which is out next week. Uh, Vice President Al Gore, thank you very much for joining us. Well,
4: thank you for having me. I've, uh, I've enjoyed it a lot. Thank you. Thank
0: you. And that was it. That was Al Gore.
4: Um, commercial begins.
0: Because as you've already heard on the podcast, we have teamed up here, the Empire podcast has teamed up with at Sky Atlantic for this week's podcast. Uh, they're about to release their brand new thriller, Tin Star, with the binge watch guarantee, this guaranteed binge watch, all 10 episodes, 10, count them, 10, that's more than 9, less than 11, will be available at once on the 7th of September. They will also air weekly, if you, don't, if you can't handle your binge, they'll also wear air weekly on Sky Atlantic, which is your Monday evening, every Monday evening, for the next 10 weeks, sorted. And if you don't know what you uh, can expect from Tin Star, it's a Sky original drama Set in the beautiful landscapes of the Rocky Mountains in Canada, uh, Tim Roth Tim Roth, plays the main character, Jim Worth. Uh, he is an expat cop. He comes to the town of Little Big Bear. Uh, as the new sheriff, ready to clean up the town, and he is targeted by a gang who plan on assassinating him. But their attempts fail, and they accidentally shoot and murder someone very close to Jim. Uh, and Tinstar then explores and follows Jim as he deals with guilt and obsessing on uncovering Who's responsible and ultimately taking revenge? Uh, so it's a story full of vengeance, it's got crime, it's got conspiracy theories, uh, is Jim's violent past as an undercover cop in Britain catching up with him? Who hired the assassins to take him down? What's the local oil company run by Christina Hendricks got to do with it? What's love got to do with it? Uh, behind the series, of course, as we discussed, none other than Rowan Joffe, uh, who's best known for writing 28 Weeks Later, The American, directed the Brighton Rock remake that I, I deeply love. Uh, and he's, he's put together an incredible ensemble cast, led, of course, by Tim Roth as Jim and uh, Mad Men's Christina Hendricks. Uh, so once again, all 10 episodes available from 7th of September, only, of course, on Sky Atlantic. You're going to be hearing more about Tinstar Star in the coming weeks. We'll be exploring the series in depth over the next few weeks in the podcast. Uh, for example, next, next week, we'll be hearing this person. Hello. Talking about her experiences on set. Helen, what yeah. can we expect? Give us a little test, <laughs> just a little teaser of, of of what we can expect from your, your behind the scenes experiences on Tin Star.
1: There was a building and it was on fire. Oh my
0: god. Come on. There we go. It's exciting, isn't it? It is. It's exciting. So more Tin Star coming what next your, week. Um... From Helen promotional activities I, listen dude I, I, I'm excited about it I listen to other podcasts and I, yeah. get, I get excited yeah. about how excited people get about the promotional activities and I thought it's been a while since someone sponsored the podcast and if it ever happened again I wanted to get as excited as those people get right, excited right. and also so,
1: if somebody keeps sponsoring us then yeah. they'll probably stop threatening to you know make mm, us actually me. do work instead Yeah.
0: So. Mm. so this is all good stuff then we, you know, we, we, welcome, we welcome we welcome people on the podcast remember Mr. Plough when Homer Simpson <laughs> yes.
2: advertises Mr. Plow, that name again—it's Mr. Plow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just a faint sort of sense memory of that. There but I loved it. So weird. I loved the enthusiasm. I can't wait to see the show. Are now. you doing Danny
4: Boyle? that sounded. That
2: sounded for a second it. like we were doing Danny Boyle. Tin, I love stars. I love mountains. If there's one thing I absolutely love, it's tins and stars, great, great. Yes. I don't mind your don't ball impression when it's outside of my own immediate personal space. <laughs> but when
0: it's somewhere near my epidermis, I'm, in, I'm somewhat <laughs> uncomfortable. Okay, well, that's it. The commercial has ended. The commercial okay. has ended. The regular Emperor podcast has resumed. Okay, here we go. Straight into movie news.
1: Yes. Um, What a week it's been. Well, it hasn't really. There hasn't been that much news, has there? I mean, I've been away. I was basically spent the week halfway up a mountain, so I'm I'm a bit hazy. But I do know that the Coen brothers, uh, their Western TV series, is indeed, as pretty much everybody predicted, including us, going to Netflix. Um, And they announced it with the following four iconic words. We are streaming, motherfuckers. (laughs) God Amazing. bless them all. Um, uh, so, was there a
0: comma there or are they streaming motherfuckers? What, uh, there what are is they? a comma.
1: There is a comma. We are streaming uh, comma, comma mother-fuckers. motherfuckers. Exclamation mark.
0: Okay, the show's not called motherfuckers and they're not streaming it or they don't have access to motherfuckers and they're streaming them.
1: N- I mean, not that I know of, but that's their business. I don't want to know. Do you think um, we've
0: earned the explicit tag on this week's podcast? I think we have. I think we have.
1: It's actually, of course, called The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which is a none more Co- Coen brothers name. Uh, I think we can all agree. Um, and it's going to be a mini-series that will intertwine six different storylines. So, hoorah for everything, frankly.
0: That's interesting. That is very interesting. It's, it's not the only interesting Netflix-related piece of news this week, of course, as you know. It wasn't? That's the, uh, no, it wasn't. Were you, did you miss this when you were up in the... Where were you this week? You were I went to Yosemite. Weird. Yosemite, okay. And Santa Cruz. What were you doing there?
1: Um, I was uh, exp- exploring and hiking.
0: Is it true that you met uh, Joanna Robinson this week?
1: I did, of course. Uh, of Vanity Fair fame Mm -hmm. and uh, she she is on several podcasts including A Storm of Spoilers Mm -hmm. uh, discussing Game of Thrones and we have been Twitter friends for a long time we finally met IRL
0: I thought I felt a great disturbance in the force (laughs) that was it that's amazing
1: so she was awesome hello Joe
0: good good I'm glad you're making new friends
1: thank you well, uh, Makes three
0: <laughs> So uh, news this week that Disney uh, have, are going to end their distribution deal with Netflix Yeah and they're going to launch their own streaming service uh, with a targeted date of 2019 um,
1: This is bad news though right? You think because, this is bad news? Yeah because the more that streaming services fracture the more of them you bloody have to get to be sure of seeing things and it does my nut in a little bit um, You know how many of these do we actually need? You know, you've got Netflix, you've got your Amazon Prime, you've got your Freeview or your Apple, whatever. Apple
0: will be doing we'll it soon.
1: Apple TV, yeah. um, you know, I just,
0: well, uh, the the it's exhausting. The scuttlebutt, of course, is that this is going to, and obviously Disney have the back catalogue to do this. They so can sure, go, sure. guys, we've got obviously all our own stuff. Uh, we've got the, the, the Money Pit, I think is a Disney film. Everyone wants to see that. Um, they've got Marvel, is that? something we ever talk about I, the d- I don't think I don't we've ever, ever m- discussed uh, that P- uh, Pixar is that something that's nah it's ever- not relevant No,
1: I certainly wasn't there last week
0: <laughs> they've got some cool stuff coming up um, in their back catalogue as well so they can they can go uh, they can split away of course the the intriguing thing is the Scotland Buzz seems to be that this is the, the start of mainly all the studios launching their own streaming services and now if they all do that plus as you say you have Netflix you have your one-off payment through Amazon Prime for Amazon yeah. uh, video uh, it's going to get pretty expensive to be a movie fan, I would say, over the next few years, if, of course, you wanted to do it. So I would say Disney, Sony, Warner Brothers, Paramount, Universal, Lionsgate, uh, Studio Canal, Independence. Uh, that's eight alone, plus Netflix, plus Amazon Prime, plus if Apple start doing something as if well. If
1: Hulu come here, I Hulu mean, come you know, here. what about too?
0: if somebody creates
2: place you can go and rent the things just for a small fee <laughs>
1: and you can i feel like this is when uber home. started it, basically invented the bus <laughs> did you see that story <laughs> where they suggested that for for certain high use areas yeah. they might have larger capacity vehicles that would travel around on a schedule and pick up many people at once <laughs>
2: uh, yeah it's and everyone's like
1: a, wow innovation
2: you That's, do feel like you're lurching into onion territory a little bit with, with with this if everyone has their own it sort of defeats the entire point of you know a sort
0: of uh one central shop, shop, a Netflix, for, for example. Yeah, I wouldn't feel this, that now. But this is the thing about Netflix. I mean, uh, 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 and I love your idea, Phil. It's a real blockbuster of an idea, but I don't <laughs> know whether it, it would, you know, gain traction. But the thing about Netflix this is maybe why they are ramping up their original programming, their original content. Yeah. I mean, this week they announced that they're bringing David Letterman back on the on the on the small screen as well, which is hugely exciting. He's going to be doing six bespoke one hour chat show slash lifestyle things and. You know, obviously the man is richer than God, so he doesn't have to do anything he doesn't want to do. So yeah. I'm really excited about that. Um, Amazon are delving into, I think, sports as well. That uh, Recently they've won the rights, to, I think, to screen, uh, I think it's the Australian Open. I think it's going to be on Amazon. Correct me if I'm wrong, uh, which I frequently am. But it's intriguing. I sp- I was on a Netflix thing a year and a half ago, and I spoke to Ted Sarandos and Reed Hastings, um, who is, Reed Hastings is the CEO of Netflix, and Ted Sarandos is the uh, chief operating
4: Officer, I think officer. he's a content officer of, of yeah. Netflix,
0: and he's the guy who basically works with all the, the people, uh, all the, the filmmakers and talent. And he said that you know, will he, I asked, will they ever allow download? No, they won't. And they said, well, okay. and they obviously they did soon after. Uh, I also said, will you ever see a day when you go into sports and when you start doing and you know chat shows and quiz shows and just start presenting regular programming? And they said, no. But I wondered if the landscape is shifting slightly and whether they may need to up. Not just films, but TV and all, all sorts of other original programming. Getting into original sports. Yeah, get into make-up yeah. Quidditch.
1: <laughs> Quidditch. Why not? Why not? They've yeah. got the
0: money to do. There to is a Quidditch
1: international Quidditch League. Why not? So, it's just yeah. people
0: running around, isn't it?
1: Well, it is, but that's funnier. Ted Sarandos
0: can make people fly. I've seen wow. it. I've seen it happen. It's amazing. <laughs> is that what happened to you when you were speaking to him? He just <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> flung you across the room. <laughs> pretty much Airborne. with his mighty mind powers. Mm, then, he had, then he had his minions shake my hand guess for him. Away. And then off he went <laughs> into them. the night. It does feel like um, it's an evolving
2: entity, Netflix, for one thing. like Things are changing, they're starting to cancel shows. Um,
0: oh, maybe, imagine being on a Netflix show that got cancelled. You feel like the last person that's not got picked for football not, team. Yeah, it's not good, it? I mean, oh, Come on. <laughs> that's how, such... how did I not get a second series? Well, well come on. You give everything a second series. It's did you watch you. Bloodline? <laughs> I got a second series,
2: I got a third series. I know, it did. But then it ended and that seemed like a reasonable place for it to end. Well, it hasn't ended yet.
0: It's ending. I know. Trust me. Have you been <laughs> in the future, Phil? Yes. Helen's been to Yosemite. I've been have. to France. Have you been to the future? Yes, I have. Okay. Have
1: you ever been Never. to you? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. I mean, it, uh, the the way from a Netflix point of view is that obviously it's carved a bit of a reputation as being somewhere that filmmakers can go and do risky things, you know, make yeah. a series knowing there'll be a second series and just throw shit against the wall and see what sticks. But that may change. And if it does, then maybe they'll start to lose a bit of their USP. But certainly losing the whole Disney Back catalogue. Yeah. I don't really know how it works across Netflix and Amazon Prime and the other streaming sites at the moment. Are they? Are they Disney? No,
0: Amazon Prime at the moment. I mean, this is the only UK. Um, obviously, our our experience is, isn't kind of conf- is confined to the UK, so I don't know how this works in the states. But Amazon Prime clearly have some sort of deal with Warner. Uh, so if you go on Amazon Prime, there's loads and loads of Warner Brothers movies, and there's constantly streaming. There's some really interesting stuff. Very few films, in fact, I don't think any films really cross across the two services. Um, so already you kind of feel that you have... And there's Sky as well, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, Sky, uh, you know, which I have as well. And they all have different things, and they all have different TV shows. and like Tin Star. Like Tin Star. <laughs> so, you know, it's 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 yeah. going to be interesting to see. Is there, yeah. a, is there a breaking point? What are they going to call it, Disney? Just quickly. I imagine mm-hmm. they're going to call it Disney.
2: Come on, they've got to be some form of...
0: Disney Stream, Pluto Vision, or something. Disney <laughs> it's got streaming. to be. It's not a Mickey Mouse operation film. These guys oh, will. God. These guys will put a lot of thought into this.
1: <laughs> More than we have. <laughs> uh,
0: but I wonder if Disney are in the acquisitions business. If they're looking for, I don't know, a podcast. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm sure if they are, they probably won't buy us. Why? <laughs> have you listened to this one?
1: <laughs>
5: no.
2: Oh, I don't want to. <laughs>
0: I don't want to. Okay.
1: Hey, so there was Good also one. news this week. Yeah.
0: <laughs> about... Is it Jim Robbin related?
1: <laughs> God no. Let's keep away from that. Um, how about the fact that Deadpool director Tim Miller is on to direct? Apparently, Neuromancer. Thank God you're here. Yeah, the William Gibson novel, the <laughs> Cyberpunk, the original Cyberpunk. Yes. Sort of
0: blockbuster, yes. if you will.
1: Um, I'll be honest. I've read it because everyone's like, "Oh my god, it's the original ci- cyberpunk blockbuster." Yeah. and I was a bit like,
0: "Eh." Okay, this is good because uh, the reason I said, "Thank God you're here," apart from obviously, just I'm glad to see you, Helen. Thanks. I'm glad Thanks to see Chris. you. Yeah. Um, I didn't get bitten
1: by a rattlesnake or a grizzly bear. So. <laughs> winning.
0: It is. It's winning. Uh, is that I thought you might have read that book, which I haven't.
1: I have, I have, but it, it didn't particularly stick in my head. It's about a, a junkie and a hacker called Case. Who um, who has his nervous system sabotaged and can't get into cy- cyberspace, and he's offered a cure by uh, very dodgy types, um, but he has to go on a secret mission in order to get the cure. So um, it, there's there's really cool ideas in it, um, and uh, it's a, he's a little bit winning. This always makes me think a little bit of Philip K. Dick in that they have all of these amazing ideas, but sometimes the story that is actually attached to them isn't that brilliant and and for me anyway that was my impression of uh, Neuromancer but I'm sure as with Philip K. Dick the the, the raw material Mm -hmm. is there for somebody to make a great film out of it and it's been talked about on and off for years and years and years so it'd be nice if it actually finally happened because it could look super cool okay
0: that's interesting very very good Uh, Riz Ahmed is apparently in talks to star in Venom
1: yes as a beloved Marvel character is that it? Who does, who, mm. who?
2: No one knows. I mean... Presumably Riz Ahmed knows. Well, I mean, yeah, but
1: one would hope otherwise, you know, the talks would be really kind of vague mm. and formless. Um, I wonder yeah.
0: if it might be uh, J. Jonah Jameson. Huh?
1: That would seem like spectacularly weird casting to me.
0: <laughs> what? I mean... Why? Explain yourself. Um, <laughs> what was the, the phrasing? The, the, the Marvel character? Uh, the popular Frazier.
2: Marvel Comics character. Popular Marvel Comics character. All right, it's
0: They're all popular. They? But obviously, oh, okay. uh, there, there hasn't been, in this uh, reboot of Spider-Man, in this new iteration of Spider-Man, there hasn't been a Daily Bugle. There hasn't that been a, a JJJ. It's tricky to kind of have that ye olde newspaper editor operating in this world, in this day and age, And so I think they might want to jazz it up a little bit, the way they have done with with Aunt May and whatnot. And what better way to do that than maybe reimagine JJJ and the Daily Bugle as some sort of cutting-edge HuffPo blog-type deal. (laughs) Sorry,
1: (laughs) cutting-edge HuffPo. I know, I I
0: know. (laughs) (laughs) Cutting-edge CompuServe. (laughs) Geo-cities. Let me just fire up my (laughs) dial-up. Say hello to the new CEO of Alta Vista. What's the the other one, The, the buzzy feed people? Them. Buzzy feed. Like Buzzy Feed. Yeah. They could uh, do you think they might be in the market to acquire a podcast? <laughs> I'm sorry you've broken me. <laughs> do you know make a good J? <laughs> Who's that? Jim Broadbent. <laughs> oh, no. He'd be brilliant. He'd be enough, great. He'd be great. Oh hello, it's a little spider. Oh he'd say.
1: There is a reason that the last one we had was JK Simmons. Is because when you get it right, you don't mess with it. Just just hire JK Simmons and let us all rest.
0: Okay. I think it might be JJJ. I'm just... And also, also because Eddie Brock, who is Venom, his story is famously a photographer who gets jealous of Peter Parker. Uh, And so there might be... But how can you have
1: that that story when you haven't had Peter selling any photos yet? You've got to change the story. It doesn't make sense, Chris. It doesn't make sense.
0: Oh, he might be Cletus Cassidy. He might be Carnage. What? No. The worst character in the
1: world. Oh, no, oh, I don't. I don't understand Venom at the best of times, and this isn't helping. It might be that. Hey. Oh. Anyway, Milly um No,
2: oh, I was going okay. to say that's true. Oh, yeah. you go ahead then. Oh, okay,
1: hey, <laughs> Tell me what, more. What there's more? <laughs>
2: that was the beginning and end of it for me. Well, she's going to be in um, Neil Marshall's Hellboy: Rise of the Blood Queen.
1: Who will she be playing? She'll be playing Hellboy. (laughs)
2: No, No, the other other one. one. She'll be playing the Blood Queen. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, David Harbour, of course, is playing Hellboy.
1: I have to say, I was watching uh, her her latest Resident Evil um, on the plane, and it was a lot of fun.
0: Yes. There you go. Genuinely, you thought it was a lot of fun.
1: Genuinely, because uh, they never stopped having fight scenes in order to do any talking or exposition. So that was actually quite fun. Yeah. They just... One fight scene after another. Oh, look, it's a fight scene. Oh, it's another fight scene. And there were mm-hmm. two Ian Glens, which is always <laughs> kind of fun.
0: So it is true. There are two Ian. I was amused. Yeah. 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 What's the film called?
1: Uh, Resident Evil colon. Colon exclamation is mark is Endgame. Is it yeah. end game? No, no, no. End, ending? End, ending, no. and not end. Finish. The,
0: you watched the last one, the very yeah. last one. Yeah. You watched the. You saw the most recent one, the final chapter of the series. The
1: final chapter.
0: The final chapter. <laughs> the final chapter. Is it really called the final chapter?
1: I mean, I don't know. He had to prompt me. Didn't
2: Saw. Wasn't one of the Saw movies the final chapter?
1: Maybe. Come on. I Wasn't was a a Freddy or Jason a final chapter too?
0: Can anyone name all six Resident Evil movies? No. no.
1: Not in order. There was an apocalypse.
0: There was an apocalypse.
1: Um, there was a...
0: Umbrella scenario. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: I have seen them all.
0: There was an extinction?
1: Oh, there was... Uh... Was there something beginning with retribution?
0: Retribution! A and an afterlife.
1: Afterlife.
0: Now, put those together in order. <laughs> was that a requiem? No. Should've it should have been. been. should have been a requiem. It should have been. Yeah, but have somewhere but, in uh, there. Got that's, to. that's it. Resident Evil, the final chapter. It gets the Helen thumbs up. <laughs> um, and the last thing before we, we do a shameless plug about this, this new issue of Empire. Um, I thought this was quite interesting. A Cowboy Ninja Viking. Which is a image comic book adaptation, which stars Chris Pratt uh, as a new kind of assassin who manifests the toughest skills of three different personas: cowboy, ninja, and Viking. Right has a release date of June twenty eighth, two thousand and nineteen. This is, of course, nuclear Armageddon permitting. Uh-huh.
1: Uh
0: huh. June twenty eighth, two thousand and nineteen. What's interesting about this is that it has a release date, but it doesn't have a director. Now, that would seem to be the wrong way around. <laughs> yeah. Surely. And I know this is the way they do things these days, and yeah. the, uh, blah, 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 blah. But most release dates are put into place for established properties, and people would go, oh, yeah, okay, I'll go see that movie in four years' time because I like Justice League or whatever. Cowboy Ninja Viking, I don't know. I like mean, this. people
1: like cowboys and ninjas and Vikings.
0: But people like cowboys and they like aliens, and look what happened there.
1: That's true.
0: I like residents, and I love evil. <laughs> didn't uh, didn't?
1: It doesn't help you remember what order the I films love, came in, I does love, it? Like I love residence. final chapters.
0: <laughs> okay, I love residents. Yeah, they're my favourite type of people who live sure. in that block of things. Okay. Um, so I, I just think this, right. is, this is interesting and this good. it's going head to head with the sixth Transformers film, which is no. going to be called Transformers, uh, and then just a big question mark going. Uh? And then Optimus Prime I mean, going. Uh,
1: oh, I thought there was the name of this one, because that's certainly the way I felt coming yeah. out of it. I
0: Because the way everyone felt coming out of it, going into it, during it, everything. But yeah. Just want to say, what
2: kind of podcast would we be if we didn't at least mention the fact that the new Robert Redford Jane Fonda movie has got a trailer out this week?
1: <laughs> yes, this is great news.
2: Gee, Phil, where are you going with this? I don't know. I don't What's the know. name of the film, Phil? It's called... <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> 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 it's called... <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> Called, we had Al Gore on this podcast not more than looks about what? It's called 45 <laughs> minutes ago. I don't know how to say it without it being stupid. No, it's try. Called, how do you know the name our of Our Souls at Night. <laughs> <laughs> That's Our Souls at Night. So Robert Redford and Jane Fonda are in a film called Our Souls at Night.
1: <laughs> our Souls.
0: Our Souls. <laughs>
1: no, our as in belonging to us. Our. And then... Souls as in ethereal. Yeah, but the thing is everyone pronounces
2: okay. the word our as an R, don't they? So it's yeah. going to sound yeah, like arseholes. So I know, but why? Americans
1: don't understand what that means. Oh, like it it they always ask- leave out the R, oh, you see, so they don't yeah, understand. So nobody's obviously Somebody must up on have it. told
0: them. it was just too polite to tell them. <laughs> <But> this <laughs> is probably. based on a book. So at some point the, the novelist went, you know, oh what a, got a great title. What's it called? Our Souls at Night. It's like, dude. That's that's you're really going to limit thing. your market here. Of, yeah. You're going for that sort of audience. No, no, no. Our souls, are like. Oh, I see.
4: Yeah,
0: yeah. It's gonna, it's gonna play huge. Um, I'm definitely, <laughs> I mean, Lots of people are going to be downloading guess, this by mistake.
1: I guess, like that seems to work for Chuck Tingle, so maybe, you know, <laughs> maybe it's just that's their métier. I don't know. Hey. So anyway, but uh, but Robert Redford and Jane Fonda, we love them both. And yes, we do. We wish it well.
0: We do. Yeah, we totally do. Our souls at night everybody. <laughs> Our souls at night. So, new issue of Vampires out and it's Hurrah! it's Hurray! massively exciting. I'm excited. Yeah. Um Hulk is on the cover.
1: Oh, no, because he stars is on in Hulk cover. Ragnarok. No, Thor is on the cover because he stars in Thor Ragnarok. Oh. Wait, that's a different cover to me. What? What? Two covers, oh, it's not called Fable? Hulk
0: Ragnarok. It's Thor Ragnarok. So Hulk hasn't got his own movie yet. Okay. He's in this movie, Thor Ragnarok which is the third in the, uh, in the well-loved Ragnarok trilogy. And no. uh, Chris Hemsworth, Mark Ruffalo, Taika Waititi, Jeff Goldblum, all those people, everyone loves them. Uh, really looking forward to this movie. And uh, Dan Jolin, the bastard, was on set in uh, Australia. Jammy Git. Jammy Git. Think of the air miles, Ellen. Think of the air miles. And, uh, and, but also the great people he got to see and hang out with. So he has written this feature and is a uh, fez good. So do check that out. That's our main cover feature. Uh, lots of world-beating access uh, to what could be the final Thor movie, or at least the final Thor movie with Chris Hemsworth <gasps> um, in the title role. So it's very, very exciting. But there's more. There's more. It's a. It's a. It's a laden it's an issue laden with goodies so we have uh, our Comic Con special we went out to Comic Con a couple of weeks ago and we had our own little studio there as people may have seen the Facebook Live stuff that I did uh, from our little studio at the uh, at a major hotel nearly said what it was and, um, and uh, now you can see all the photo shoots and all the interviews that we did with people like Will Smith and Colin Firth and Taron Egerton and Peter Capaldi and the cast of Star Trek Discovery and Elijah Wood and Peter Sarovinovich and, and so on and so on and so on. And Ben Mendelssohn, loads and loads of great people. Uh, that's in there as well. The Empire interview, James Dyer, the second most important person on the planet, travelled to LA to meet the most important person on the planet, <laughs> James Cameron, uh, as he's about to embark upon uh, directing, in fact, he, I think he is right now, four Avatar sequels.
1: That's happening right now.
0: That's happening right now. Awesome. And it's all very, very exciting. Uh, But he's also talking about Terminator 2, Judgment Day, the 3D version, which comes out at the end of the month. Uh, So that's all very, very cool. James got to talk to him for a long, long time. uh, And that's great. We also were on set of It, um, which is awesome. And um, uh, we have a feature written by Francis Lee, the director of a British film called God's Own Country, which is... uh, Fantastic by all accounts, and we have that there as well. We also have stuff from the uh, first looks at Ready Player One, David Fincher's Mind Hunter, which sadly is not a prequel to Mind Hunters. Uh, Borg versus McEnroe resistance is futile. Uh, we have. Uh, Reviews of all the big new movies, and in the section at the back of the the magazine, which you know, who cares about that really? I mean, pfft. oh, it's
1: the worst, and the it's guy the who edits section. It. Oh, he's the worst.
0: Yeah, the, uh, the guy edits. His what? Absolute, Hold on. Absolute, absolute arsehole at night. Um, no, the, the back section. Phil. You're talking
1: about the back section. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah couldn't agree more. Yeah, terrible, terrible. terrible. Uh, so we got the Emperor perfume guide is life. Oh, life life, life. Uh, Brian Cranston talks about his greatest roles Brian Wheatley talks us through Free Fire shot by shot and I mean shot by shot um, he talks us through all the key bullets David Baddiel writes this month's First Take Club which was, uh, which was delightful uh, which is really really cool First Take Club if you don't know what it is if you haven't read the magazine for a while hopefully we might put these online at some point uh, but First Take Club is shamelessly ripped off from the Ram Album Club uh, and it is <laughs> uh, we get people to see a film that they haven't seen before and write about it it's that simple. And this month we have David Baddiel. Yes, David Baddiel writing about Tokyo Story. So it's all very, very cool. Just £4.70 on sale now. September 2017 issue of Empire Magazine on sale now. All good and evil news agents on here and Asgard. Do pick up a copy. Let us know which cover you you chose. Did you choose Thor? Did you choose Hulk? Or did you get the subscriber's cover?
1: Which is super cool. And which Taika Waititi coloured in himself with his own two hands and put on Twitter.
0: Indeed. It's all very, very cool. Right. Plug ends. Time for second guest. Time for second guest. Uh, our second guest this week is one of America's most intriguing directors. He was last on the podcast a few years ago with Ain't Them Body Saints, where he worked with Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara, and he liked the experience so much that he wanted to work with them again, only this time with one of them wearing a sheet over their head. That's roughly the premise of a ghost story in which Affleck's ghost haunts his house for what could be eternity. Uh, I spoke to Lowry earlier this year when he came to London about a great many things from pies to Pete's Dragon and the pros and cons of getting an Oscar winning actor to wear a sheet over his head for pretty much an entire movie. That's the stuff you're going to hear The thing you're not going to hear, I hope, is the coughing fit that I had that derailed the interview for a good three minutes and features a lot of coughing, a lot of apologizing for me. And David Lowry just sitting there watching this unfold and kind of going, "Mm, what's happening here? I could make it to the door, but I think I might not make it quickly enough. Um, I'm still recovering and I'm going to hold that back from you guys. Uh, So here it is. Enjoy this interview with David Lowry. We're delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by the writer and director of a ghost story, David Lowry. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for being here. Uh, I have to say, David, you are something of a dark horse because I don't even remember, but the last time I spoke to you, we were on Skype for Pete Dragon. You were do remember, you were yes. doing you were scoring it in Abbey Road. Yeah. Uh, and I asked you what you were doing next, and you said you were doing Old Man and the Gun with Robert Redford. Yep. At no point did this movie come up
5: in <laughs> conversation uh, at what point did the
0: ghost story happen for you
5: it was It was definitely underway at this at that point, but okay. I wasn't talking about it okay because I wasn't sure if it would work, so I didn't want anyone to ah. be able to hold me to it later on down the road if I buried it but it was definitely uh in the works at that point, and I think as soon as I got back from London, I flew to Dallas to do some test shoots and then back to l a to to finish doing the sound mix, Wow! the entire process of finishing Pete's Dragon was, it consisted of me, you know, working in LA during the week and then often flying back to Texas on the weekends to sort of put the pieces in motion for a ghost story so that we'd be able to start shooting it in June as soon as Pete's Dragon was done. Okay. And indeed, we started shooting it two days after we finished (laughs) on June 12th, so almost exactly a year ago. And uh, at that point, Old Man the Gun was supposed to shoot in September or October. So I was operating under the assumption that I had a very limited window in which wow. to make a ghost story. But as these things do, that movie pushed all the way up until earlier this year, mm-hmm. and uh, I would have had plenty of time to pr- to do prep on this movie in a traditional <laughs> fashion. But uh, but it's probably a good thing that I didn't, because if I had thought it over too much or put too much force forethought into it. It probably would have turned out differently, and and maybe I wouldn't have even made it at all because I would have gotten scared.
0: That's fascinating because it
5: is such a deliberate
0: piece of work. It is such a it's, it seems to me to be calculated. The pacing is so deliberate, uh, and there are scenes in this that have have haunted me and stayed with me ever since I saw it over a week ago now. Um, there's one scene in particular that I I, I just I'm fascinated by. Uh, it's the scene where Rooney Mara. Uh, breaks down in grief and she eats a pie and it's in, in it's in one shot and it's extraordinary. How long... Did, can you talk about the conception of that shot? Where it came from and holding your nerve as a director?
5: It It is probably my favorite thing I've ever made is that scene. And it was... It came about because I knew that you know, this movie was going to be monopolized by the ghost. Yeah. That was going to be he was going to just kind of, you know, it was going to be hard for anything to to hold the screen with him because he was going to be such a dominant shape in the frame. Mm. And I knew that Rooney's character needed to carry the emotional side of the film during the the part of the movie she's in. And I needed something that could, you know, distract us from the ghost so that we could pay attention to her for a little bit. Yeah. And I also knew that the structure of the movie was such that I wasn't going to have a lot of scenes to play with, to convey what she was going through. I would have a very few and I, and I was designing the movie in such a way that those scenes would be comprised of one or two shots at the most. I really wanted this movie to be comprised entirely of, of tableaus. And obviously we kind of changed the rules as we went along. It wasn't, it wound up not being, a series of tableaus, but nonetheless, that was the idea going into it. And so I just was thinking to myself, what would be the best way to convey her emotion in a single shot that would kind of define what she's going through for an audience. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, was thinking about unusual displays of grief. And I'd been reading about grief and bereavement. I, I had just read Joan Didion's book The Year of Magical Thinking and I've been reading other essays and and writing about loss and about how it's the little moments by yourself that uh that sneak up and surprise you it's not the it's not when you're looking at a photograph of your loved one that's gone or 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 the more predictable or one might say cinematic moments that uh that ultimately are the ones that you feel the most lost Mm. during but all the little moments that uh the in-between moments, those are the ones that, that sort of that sort of sneak up and surprise you. And so mm-hmm. I uh, just set upon the idea that she would be eating and, and that would be a way of of showing grief. And that's something that I've seen in other movies before. Um, most notably for me, I think, Chunking Express, okay. the Wong Kar yeah, yeah, Wai yeah. movies, there's yeah. a scene where he orders room service because he's heartbroken and just eats like five club sandwiches. <laughs> and... <laughs> and <clears throat> It's completely a different style. He he, like eats club five club sandwiches and then goes running for like five miles or something like that. And uh, I just loved that. I, I you know I love the idea of of expressing grief through something very physical like that. Yeah. And because um, it, it is such a physical act, and the the act of consumption itself is is almost like you know a, a symbol for what she's going through. And so. I wrote it into the script and I think uh, the Rooney raised a red flag from the very beginning when she read that because um, as she told me, she had never eaten pie in her life before (laughs) and felt very nervous about it. I don't know if I believe her. That she's never had pie. It's hard for me to believe that.
0: I don't know. There's obviously th- certain you know diet that actresses have to adhere to in True, Hollywood, but I, mean. I feel like
5: you know with the family that she grew up with, like Thanksgiving must have been a big affair, and surely she would have had like a slice of pie at some point. But <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna accept that she's never had pie before. Okay. And uh, and we t- and she's she was like asking if we could use different foods or something that she was more comfortable eating, and and I. I kind of wavered a little bit, but then decided no. There's something about pie that is just well. A, I love eating it myself. So, yes. <laughs> but I, I really wanted that to be the thing that she ate. And um, what sort of pie was it? It was a chocolate pie, but she is, you know, gluten-free, vegan. Mm. I'm mm. vegan as well, so that was an easy part. And we put very little sugar in it. Um, okay, it was custom-made. I ate some. Of, uh, we had several made, and I ate one of them myself, and it was delicious. But um, <laughs> she hated it. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's her right. It, it probably helped the performance. But, yeah. but uh, but it, you know, the simplicity of it was the key. You know, I didn't want it to be a complicated thing. Um, it was meant to last a certain while. Like, I, I knew it was going to be a shot that we had to live in for a while. So we had to make sure the composition of it was good and that it would mm-hmm. hold up. And And so finding the right angle was, you know, important. But once we found it, we really... You know we left it up to her I just you know she understood what the intent of the scene was she understood the emotional um intent of it and so we just started rolling and amazing and she I told her just you know eat as much as you can try to eat the whole thing and when you can't eat anymore uh that'll be the end of the scene and then run to the right yeah. yeah okay and um and, I mean, one interesting technical note on that is that the ghost wasn't in the shot when we shot it with her. We shot him separately so that we could, you know, play around with his presence. And we shot him coming in and then walking out and also just standing there in case we wanted to to um, change how he occupied the frame. And, uh, and so as soon as she was done, we filmed the ghost half of it and then we just composited the two together in post-production.
0: Amazing. I have to say, it did go through my head. It was like, what if... Because I'm assuming it is Casey under the sheet for yeah. 90%, 100% of the time. Uh, what if he sneezed at this moment? What if he, something happened to, happened to him during this moment? And it, I assume this is pretty much a one-and-done
5: situation. Yeah, was with, one, with the, we knew it would be one take and, yeah. and, and we wouldn't get another. That was part of the reason. Um, another is that we shot the ghost at a different frame rate. Uh, than For most of the movie, we shot him at a different frame rate than... than the humans, yeah, and uh, and then also just in, just so we'd have that flexibility in post, I was like, in case I wanted him to enter the frame or to leave, I didn't want to have to like risk, as you say, screwing it up because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's such an important moment for her. So it was much easier to shoot him separately and then and then just composite him in. And I mean, it's a very simple split screen. We're able to you know, do it lickety split. But um, but you know, it it is. It's, I mean, it's so simple. It's so emotionally sincere and Mm -hmm. true. And it's one of those moments where I just, you know, it's the favorite, my favorite thing I've ever made in any of my films. And it's the whole scene is two shots running time. Total of those two shots is a little bit over nine minutes. And, Mm -hmm. and the first shot was very well rehearsed and orchestrated. And we had every beat of it planned out. And then the second one was just up to her. And And the, the, the cumulative effect of the two of them is, is a scene that is, Perhaps a make it or break it moment for many audience members, but for mm-hmm. me, it's a it's a it's a, a scene you can go into and and get lost in and meditate on and and uh, I never get tired of watching. It's it. It's a short film
0: in itself. It is, yeah, almost. it really it's, is. Uh,
5: it's it's incredible. And it, it's an interesting thing. I mean, I asked you
0: uh, at the beginning of the question about holding your nerve as a director, and you know the, the desire, and a lot of directors must have been to cut away and to cut into the shot and to shoot something else and to shoot different coverage Uh, but also you are asking a lot of the audience and so how do you know as a director when to hold back and when to when to push it
5: it's a lot of gut instinct which is kind of how I operate in general on everything you just follow what feels right and at the end of the day it's what feels right to you as an audience member like Mm -hmm. I'm watching every movie that I make as if I were an audience member, and I'm trying to make sure I'm happy and consistently engaged, and never calling BS on anything, and um, and so that's the the standard I hold myself to is just as a fan of movies, as a moviegoer, would this satisfy me? Would this please me? Would this engage me or provoke me? Mm-hmm. And and I beyond that, I just kind of go through it intuitively. And for me, I love holding on something like that. So I have zero instinct to cut in for a close-up on a scene like that, or to, to get coverage on a scene like that. Mm. But then there are other scenes, like um, there's a, a sequence of Casey and Rooney arguing that is scattered throughout the movie. We shot that all as one big scene. And my initial thought with that scene was that it would be a big, wide, stately tableau, and we shot 12 takes of that. Mm-hmm. And it's a 10-minute conversation. And then I just really wanted to get close up, so we kept moving the camera closer and closer, and <laughs> and uh, and and that scene ended with the you know the moment where Rooney's listening to the song with the headphones on, and, and yeah. that needed to be a 50 mil lens right in her face, yes, and and, uh, and so again I was just operating on instinct. I was like something you know part of it is just Rooney. When you have a, a camera and Rooney Mar in the same room, you want to just get that camera as close to her as you can. But, uh, but yeah, you just, you just sort of do what feels right. And, you know, I, I shot list things sometimes, but, um, I never stick to them because when you're in the moment on the set, you know, the movie sort of is speaking to you Mm -hmm. and as long as it feels true and feels right, you know, you're in the right zone and you always know when something doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and being able to recognize that is tricky and sometimes it causes a lot of problems. Um, because you don't have a solution, but it's important to be able to just know that you know something's not right, something's inaccurate, something's untruthful, and, and you need to stop and figure out how to fix that.
0: so a lot of this movie seems to be driven
5: on on
0: instinct as well. Is that fair to say? I mean, just the the general approach to the movie?
5: It is. I mean, it was all written, and if you were to read the, to read the screenplay all 34 pages of it it would be it would be remarkably close to the finished film but at the same time the process of making it and editing it and and pushing it through to the final stages was very instinctive so in in the script you know the scene where she eats the pie was in there and it was mm-hmm. you know it mentioned very literally like she sits down and eats the entire pie and then gets up and runs to the restroom and that's all it said and so we knew, you know, we're going to shoot that scene, but then in terms of how we shot it and where the camera went and where the cut was from the time that she sat down or standing up to sitting down, and even the fact that she sits down, that was all figured out in the moment and, and just sort of like, you know, again, you know, making the decisions based on what felt right and what felt true. You know, the the fact that you were making this
0: as you were making Pete Dragon effectively, I mean, yeah. you know, it's, it's obviously not unheard of. I mean, Spielberg made Jurassic
5: Park and... Cinder's List in the same year which yeah, is amazing <laughs> still boggles my mind and the, the, the conversation in The Godfather 2 like how do you make both of those movies in one year like <laughs> that one that one really freaks me out
0: precisely Godfather conversation Godfather 2 I mean that is just that's, yeah. that's crazy that's a crazy uh, run but uh but it, it's obviously not unheard of, but so in, but it's it's obviously tempting to look at the fact that this is a much smaller movie, and you were going from a bigger movie with with Disney and Pete's Dragon as uh, uh, so a ghost story is not a reaction necessarily to the experience you were having shooting a big movie
5: no, I mean it's very easy to look at it with the one for me one for them mentality yeah yeah and that's reductive to both films, I feel, although I understand it like on on the surface it's it makes sense, but um. But it was more just you know I felt I had the idea for a ghost story and and mm. it felt like something I had the capacity to make and I had the time the timing was right and I had a window of, of free time in which I could either take a vacation or make a movie and I decided to make a movie and that's amazing and I like both films equally I mean they are both just as personal to me as you know anything else I've ever made if not more so I mean Pete's Dragon in spite of you know I didn't have final cut on it it was a movie that was made for the widest possible audience mm-hmm. and yet I was able to make something that felt very true to me and very personal yeah. and and I I love that movie and I'm very proud of it and I, and the ghost story is the same way like that movie mm-hmm. is no less or more a personal work than than anything else and and um, it they, they they fit together to me in a strange way even though they're very different and obviously made for different audiences but there's a there's a I, uh, a common theme or common ground that you do have. And I suppose the common ground is just me because I made them and they, they mean something to me. So that's probably what it is. David, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. Indeed. Thank you so much. Thank really you. great. Sorry for almost dying. It just added something special to the whole <laughs> thing.
0: Okay. We're going to start this week's review section with a ghost story. Um, a film, Phil, I'll be honest, that has um, stayed with me since I saw it. And my initial reaction to ghost story is not the reaction I have to it now. But You described it as utter shit. I did. I, 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 I wanted to burn the negative. Oh, of course it didn't. No, you didn't. You no, didn't. Just, a um, just a bit of fun. You
2: know what? We did have that conversation when we came out of the screening. Yeah. Where we're like, that's a film. You like to leave it a night uh, before you start to review a film. At least I do. And see how you, how you feel about it the next day. I like to review and, it while I'm watching it. <laughs> yeah. Um, in this case, it, it is a film that grows on you. Now look, someone's given it three stars. That <laughs> person, a, as it a, turns out, I have forgotten, room with but a sheet I'm reading really the mag and it seems to be me. I've given the film three stars. Um, I have. It's um, a
0: recommendation, that's fine. As we always say in the podcast, yeah. three stars, it's a recommendation. Yeah, but
2: it seems to be a film that people either really, really love, uh-huh. mostly, yeah. or really don't like and didn't get at all. Yes. Um, I have perversely gone for somewhere in the middle. Um, <laughs> I, I just felt like, okay, first, just to set it up very briefly... Um, Casey Affleck plays a character called C. Um, mm-hmm. Rooney Mara plays his wife M. Mm-hmm. C. dies. M. survives. C. picks himself up off the slab covered in, in a in a in a basically a sheet mm-hmm. like a Scooby Doo mm-hmm. um, villain and returns slowly home across mm-hmm. fields <laughs> into his house and then just stays there yeah. effectively and and time passes uh-huh. uh, in a kind of a. Um, Dunkirkian interstellary sort of way you know you're never quite sure yeah it accelerates and it slows down and you see things happening and he plays silent witness to first of all his wife's grief then her moving on and then life moving on and then the planet moving on and then everything kind of
0: well surprising yeah. you
2: yeah i don't want to give too no, much away in terms of how it all plays out but um it, it, it is glacially slow at times yeah. not always but it's at a, times yeah. it doesn't explain anything and it doesn't have any interest in showing you car crashes or showing you whiz bang wallop narrative things. Any. Or, or anything of real yeah <laughs> if you want something to grip hold of this film is very much all kind of like smooth surfaces and it, it's hard sometimes to get traction on it but if you approach it as a as a Beautiful piece of art, and it did remind me of, you know, sometimes you go to an art gallery and you, you watch an art installation unfolding, and it felt like that, almost more than it felt like a feature film at times. Mm. But I think David larry you know, he's got to be congratulated for coming up with something that just on paper sounds absolutely nuts. And it, it does work, you know. We've given it three stars. I think a lot of people <laughs> love it a lot more than that. A lot of people really, really moved by it. And I think that there are times in your life when this film will probably break you, because it, is, it does have real soul, mm-hmm. um, but it won't be to everyone's taste. No, um, that's, that's for sure. It really won't. And and I would just say, you know, think about, you know, have a think about kind of the sort of experience you want from going to the cinema before you tackle this one. There'll be a time, there'll be people that will love it and there'll be other people who'll find it very, very frustrating. Um, I glibly described it as being like Terence Malick's *Rent a Ghost*, um, <laughs> uh, which is very glib, well, but, I, I, no, you know. but
1: it's not untrue.
0: But uh, did it? Do you, you know? What I mean?
1: Did you feel
2: yeah. that? Did you? Well, how
0: did you? How, David Lowry in the interview described as yeah. *Beetlejuice*, as directed by Chad Thong were as ethical. He's so, is better, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I okay. Mean,
2: and he didn't like. I mean, there's an amazing story because he didn't tell anyone he was making it. No, you know, he was so kind of wary and worried about it, and um, that he just didn't. He just didn't tell anyone that it was happening. So it wasn't really on our radar until quite soon before it appeared on the sort of festival circuit. But um, people have really warmed to it. Um, Nicola Richards, who we, I follow follows me on Twitter, we've been chatting, and she she told me how much it moved her, <clears throat> affected affected her. I didn't get quite the same sort of. Gut punch response to it emotionally, but yeah. um, there's there, there's certainly lots of food for thought in this movie.
1: Yeah, I think there might. I, I think you're right. There's probably times in my life I might like it more than I did. I'm I'm currently kind of in the negative camp on it. I can appreciate it, but I didn't in any way connect with it. Um, yeah.
0: Maybe not everyone's supposed to connect with this film yeah. all the time. Maybe. I don't know that I connected with it. I, I'll, I'll be honest, when I saw it for the first time, it's a really challenging watch. It's very slow, as Phil said. It's very glacially paced. It, the compositions are very, very careful. There is a scene, as we talked about, I think... I, I don't know whether it was included because the interview with David Lowry was quite long, so I don't know how much was cut out. But if in case you didn't hear it, there is a scene in which Rooney Mara, a post-death uh, uh, of her husband. Yeah. That's not a spoiler. Um, goes in to her house and picks up a pie a chocolate pie that is sitting on the counter and eats it in one take that lasts I'm guessing like five, forever. six minutes and it's one shot one take uh, and it's on that level it's a really challenging sit and there are moments you're thinking okay this is this is a director maybe trying to push it as, as fast as far as he possibly can
1: apparently she'd never had pie before
0: she'd never had pie before <laughs>
1: Which is just weird in itself. Well, there you go. Anyway,
0: but uh, so there are moments in this film that, that will test your patience and it will test you to the limit. And but I'll be honest, it is a film that I've rarely been able to get out of my head since I saw it, and this is months ago. I think we saw it. When did we see it? May. It's been a while. Yeah, it's so been a you, while. So David Lowry was in for Sundance. We saw it just before he came over, and I think it was it was either at the end of April or the beginning of May, and we all saw it then. And I have been thinking about the visuals. I've been thinking about resonance of it it's a film that has big weighty ideas in its head about eternity and guilt and grief and it's very very difficult to stop thinking about and i can feel the movie dancing slowly imperceptibly towards even my top 10 of the year list which is so weird given where i was when i came out of the cinema which was i appreciate what david lowry is trying to do as a director I, i you know i think he's Very unusual in American cinema right now. He has, you know, there's a real sort of artistry to what he's doing. He he operates entirely at his own pace. But this one has stayed with me in a way that I did not expect. Mm. But hey, it does. It plants this film does plant a seed. It does, no question. And it does
2: do things differently from other films, which is great. Mm. Um, But I, I stand by the fact that I just don't think that. This, well, Everyone yeah. will love this. And oh I think- God,
0: people will go and see this and there will be some people who will be... There are people who will go and see this and they'll be bored out of their skulls. There will be people who see this and they will actively hate the film and they'll come out wanting to burn down the podcast for recommending it. But there will also be people who will go and I think will connect with it. And I don't know whether they will connect emotionally with it because weirdly enough, I didn't necessarily connect emotionally with it because you don't get to know the characters enough, I would say, for that to happen. But I think you get to connect intellectually with it on some level and you maybe also get to connect with it weirdly enough spiritually with it on a a different level as well it does ask big questions about you know life and what happens after life and all that sort of stuff and you can see also as well little moments grace notes of humour little grace notes of what it could have been had he gone down the horror route um as well there's a, there's a pretty big jump scare in this movie that got me I have to, I have to say um, I,
2: I'd love it if someone re-cut, recut the trailer as a horror movie you could in, 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 you in the could. sort of uh, Mary Poppins
0: style but also style. I, I always talk in this podcast about how I admired when directors bring us something we haven't seen before and they really swing for the fences and, and this movie has a newly minted Oscar winner albeit he hadn't won the Oscar at that time standing under a sheet for pretty much the entire movie not speaking barely moving and I haven't seen that before, and uh, the, I, I I applaud it. Well, I can't applaud it because I gave it three. <laughs> you can applaud can, it. It's, it's a recommendation.
1: Yeah. It's okay. fine. It's a recommendation.
0: It's fine. I'd go. I'd go four. I'd go. But it's creeping up all the time. Um, it's go, creeping right. up all the time. Helen, I think. I'm guessing you're five. You're five. You're a five or a six. <laughs> you're in that camp. You're in that camp. Yeah, uh, half right, half. So
2: we'll see where you are for the end of year uh, review. Shall yeah, we? it might be. It might be on your top.
1: It could be. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you seem,
0: you seem um, pretty resistant to it. I'm, I'm a little bit point. resistant. Is a bit it closer, you think it happened though? Is it closer to your top ten than our next film, which is Annabelle Creation? Yeah, is, it is closer to closer, my top ten than okay, Annabelle Creation. all right. Yeah. Okay, so tell us about Annabelle
1: Creation. Annabelle Creation is a prequel to the spin-off of The Conjuring.
0: It's prequel to the prequel to the prequel of Conjuring Two.
1: Uh, it's a prequel to the prequel to the prequel of the prequel of Conjuring Two. I think, yeah. I'm very confused. Anyway, so there was The Conjuring and then it had a spin-off called Annabelle which was set before it. And right. then this is set before that. This is set And then there's that. been The Conjuring 2 which came after The Conjuring. Correct. But there's so also a scary nun movie coming up and there's a little nod to that here as well. So it's <sighs> quite so subtle. So basically there's a there's a Conjuring extended universe. They, they
0: are they are literally called the <laughs> Conjuring Universe.
1: Yeah. And uh, and this is the latest installment and it is scary. Um, mm-hmm. I, for my money it wasn't quite as scary as the Conjuring movies but it was more no. scary than Annabelle yes um, and this is set in the sort of 30s 40s initially yeah um, uh, a, a husband and wife mm-hmm. uh, an improbably prosperous doll maker <laughs> who makes like horrible looking dolls but somehow has a really nice house but
0: anyway, someone has to buy these horrible looking dolls right <laughs> I mean
1: apparently people are gagging for my them my
0: sister had loads growing up
1: well Okay, so your sister the dark was, thing happened. <laughs> was holding out for these scary looking dolls, which were made by Anthony La Paglia uh, and his wife Miranda Otto. And then tragedy strikes their family. <gasps> then, 12 years later, <laughs> they decide to open their house uh-huh. to small, vulnerable children <laughs> from the local orphanage. Um, In accompanied, hindsight, <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> accompanied by a lovely nun, a just lovely to make nun. it clear that not all nuns are scary and evil. No. There was also lovely nuns. Yes. So this lovely nun and her and her small vulnerable female charges. My lovely,
0: lovely, lovely nun. That's not
1: quite it, but okay. close. Yeah. Um they all come to live in this house. Uh, where the parents are clearly traumatised by what happened to their own daughter 12 years before and nothing bad is going to happen. No, so nothing. that's okay.
0: Especially because uh, one of the parents is so traumatised that she now lives in a darkened room and yes. won't come out ever.
1: And wears a doll mask.
0: And wears a doll mask and, uh, and there's a room that they're told not to go into in this yeah. dark cavernous house. Which with is the, also
1: a super good start. Super yeah, good.
0: With the, um, the uh, we should mention as well that one of the the lead in this movie, yes. uh, is crippled and she uh, she has polio. I she's think, po- yeah, she's, she's, she's polio. suffered polio
1: and she's been left with uh, a very severe limp and has to yeah. wear a sort of brace on her leg to to be able to walk yeah. at all. And to get upstairs, obviously that presents some problems. So she has a scary stair lift. I'm sorry, I mean a stairlift. stair lift. What would <laughs> be scary lift. about it? That's weird. I don't I didn't mean to say that. Anyway, there's that no way was, that's
0: going to malfunction at a definitely crucial.
1: Not. <laughs> that was uh, Talitha Bateman, by the way, no Talitha relation Bateman, to Jason. Yes. Man, Jason apparently. Um, but yeah, the, the the child performances were all good. Uh, the scares were very much present and correct. Uh-huh. It was gross yeah. uh, at times, like really horrible. Um, what do you think? Yeah, no, just in terms of, like, um, n- bad things, bad things. And the doll is very upsetting. I don't understand why anyone would have bought yeah. that doll in the first place. Like, that is a nasty-looking doll yeah. at the best of times. Um, even when before it starts, like, turning its head and looking at you for no reason. Mm-hmm. <gasps> um, yeah. But, yeah, it's very much in the vein of those films, so it's less about overall numbers of deaths and more about just creeping horror mm-hmm. the whole way through. Um, and... Uh, and yeah, I find it—I find it quite quite scary. But but somehow, there was something about the rhythm of the scares was a little bit off to me sometimes, and it, that's why it, I wouldn't go mm. higher than The Conjuring or anything. It's like something just about characters were whimpering when they should scream, or screaming when they should whimper. There was something about the build up of some of the scares. It just the rhythm and the the music of the scare felt a little bit.
0: It's an interesting film in that um, the uh, it it. it It tends to... It has a lot of characters. I think it has too many Um, characters. Yeah, I think that's true. Too many characters for one thing. Uh, uh, And it tends to imperil one character or a group of characters and stay with them for quite a long time and then leave the other plot threads dangling. Yeah, And I thought that was a little bit off at times. I think the last 20, 30 minutes descends into loud noises, Phil, a little bit. I thought there's some really interesting batshit crazy ideas with things... Moving around, they shouldn't be moving around and whatnot in the, in the last half hour or so that I thought it was really interesting. I, I'll be honest, this is a, a film I quite enjoyed. I went into it thinking it was going to be another blase, jump scare film, um, spin off, um, but I quite. Liked it. Mm. Weirdly enough, um, I I didn't enjoy the last film by the director David F. Sandberg, who directed a film called Lights Out, which came out I think last year with Teresa Palmer. Had a nice, decent concept and some decent scenes, but uh, by and large, blew blew itself out before you even had a really a chance to get into it. Um, and this is a much more languid film. It's about twenty minutes in, before we even get anything close to a scare, you actually, as a director, who, who allows himself an opportunity to get to know the characters and to get to know the, the location of the scary house in which all the bad things are going to happen, and that's very, very important because he shows you things that you know. He shows you the, the scare lift, and you're going, okay, well, that's going to come into play later on, surely. And then he shows you that it's a deep, dark, scary well. Well, I'm sure that won't come into play later in the film either. <laughs> And I quite enjoyed that. I quite enjoyed the sort of the panache of the setup. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think it always quite delivers on the setup. Yeah. Again, too many characters. I don't think enough is given to Anthony Palia and uh, to Miranda Otto to do.
1: And I don't know that we needed another scary dumb waiter we, I feel yeah, like, what was he doing
0: there? Hey. <laughs> it's completely the wrong I film. F- I
1: feel like we get a lot of those and I felt like I didn't need it this
0: time. Yeah, I guess But, so. but a lot of the, so. of the
1: rest of the stuff was was quite effective.
0: Yeah, it, it really gave me uh, uh, optimism for the rest of the conjuring cinematic universe or whatever they're calling it. I like both the conjuring films. Didn't like Annabelle so much. But I, I like the fact that we, you know, we won't give anything away but there are things that happened in this movie that surprised me and twists and turns that I didn't see coming and uh, so fingers crossed uh, that the future films Conjuring Three and the Nun and the Crooked Man and all these movies that they're planning to do will will be equally good.
1: Mm. So that was three stars, three stars, which mm. is a recommendation by me, oh, hey. by
0: Chris Hewitt. Uh, who's got two stars and who's got two stars and three <laughs> thumbs? <laughs> this guy. Wait, what? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so there you go, three stars in for Annabelle Creation, and then last but not least, we have Charlize Theron kicking bottom. As Brit spy, the rain kick a lot in uh, <laughs> what's her last name? Broughton. Lane, the rain Broughton in the spy thriller Atomic Blonde, which I may yes. be going to see tonight with uh, my drinking game buddy, my wife. Mm. She really wants to see it.
1: It's very cool.
0: It uh, is very cool. Literally
1: and figuratively, because it's winter. It is winter. Winter. winter has come
0: in Berlin, 1989. Can I ask you a question before we get into the review? Sure. Did you understand any of it?
1: I'll be honest, I think there's at least like 40% too much plot. Um, Now, I realise that that's sort of a common failing for spy movies when you have to make some allowances, but there is a lot of plot happening, especially actually in the last half hour where things should be getting really, really streamlined. And suddenly all this plot comes at you and you're like, ah, punch somebody quick. Um, That said, uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, So uh, Charlize Theron is just at her absolute coolest, like, like you've never seen her. Like, sort of picture. she um, was called cool, a monster. In, no, picture Imper- Imperator Furiosa, right? Uh-huh. Crossed with her like model persona from the Dior ads, right? That's kind of what we're talking about here. So she could absolutely kill you, mm-hmm. but she still looks more amazing than any human being you've ever seen in your life. It's sort of it's in that that realm, right? Um and uh, so she's sent to Berlin because somebody has stolen a list of double agents. Okay, and this-, this is
0: good so far. I'd I missed all the this. No, okay, I'm kidding. I, uh, I got that. I mean, there. it's
1: basically, that's basically Skyfall, right? Uh, Mr. Possible
0: as well. Yeah, it's a knock list. It's a knock list. Yeah, it's a knock yeah. list. Uh,
1: so she has to go and try and get this list back. But it doesn't really matter. Uh, she has the spectacularly dodgy, like obviously <laughs> untrustworthy James McAvoy is David Percival, who's the station chief. He's supposed to help her. He's totally not going to. Um, and she has various sort of foreign agents to contend with. There's obviously KGB, there's Stasi, and there is Sophia Boutella as a French agent mm-hmm. in it for some reason as well. And that'll become clear. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot going on plot-wise and it doesn't really matter. You shouldn't really go looking for plot. You should go looking for incredible fight scenes. This is obviously directed by David Leitch, who's the other guy who did John Wick. Uh-huh. He didn't do John Wick too. He went off and did this instead. Yes. And, but he has brought the same commitment to just kicking ass with him and and really impressively. So, And I think what's, what's really good about this as well is that um, a lot of the time when there are women fighting lots of men... In, in movies like this, people go, oh, it's impossible, it's not realistic that she could beat them. Um, A, it's Charlize Theron, so you kind of buy it. But B, she generally doesn't beat them with brute strength. She generally uses tools better than they do, mm. and that sort of is what allows her to win in fights. Spoiler, she does win some of the fights. So it sort of deals with that objection, I think, quite well in the fights. Yeah. Um, and they are astonishing, and the action sequencing is really impressive. Uh and, and you just kinda wish there was a bit more action and a bit less plotting. Mm. Because the plotting is not as good. But this is it's super Bondian. <laughs> it's super Bondy though. Like it's like there's scenes in this that could have come straight from Casino Royale in particular, I thought. Um there's That's little bits of Nikita obviously and there's that sort of French cool cinema du cool, Cinema du Luc, sorry. Um <laughs> thing going on definitely, but there's also like a real Bondy sort of feel to this, except that she is cooler than Bond ever has been. She even has a discussion about a watch at one point, for God's sake. Yeah. Can I
2: ask a question? I haven't seen it. Berlin okay. Berlin's I just it's a great rock and roll cinema city. Yeah. Does it look good?
1: It does look very good, although apparently German Is it a character critics... character in the movie? Apparently German critics were uh, annoyed that this was A, largely shot in Budapest, I believe, and uh. Uh, B, they don't feel it accurate, accurately res, uh, represents Berlin in 89. Uh, so apparently they were not not happy with it. But as someone who's just seen Wings of Desire and thought that looked amazing, it's got that sort of a feel to it. So yeah, I was... I was very on board with how it looked, and not massively so on board with its plot.
0: Yeah, I, I'm. I'm kind of the same. I wonder if I'm going to have the same reaction to this movie that I had with John Wick, where I saw John Wick the first time. Sure. And I it left me a little cold. Like, Weirder. I appreciate. I wonder if you know, John Wick <laughs> is basically my ghost story, but a actually sort of action Maybe movies, I'll or love ghost, ghost story. story is John Wick of, yeah. of existential crisis movies. Who knows? And. I watched it for the first time and I, I could see it was cool and I could see all the action sequences were well done and yeah, there was a cute dog and all that sort of stuff. It was fine. It kind of washed over me and I came out going, eh, it's all right. And then I watched it a second time um, and that was when it got me. And I wonder if Atomic Blonde, which is a film I enjoyed a lot and I thought it was very, very good and the action sequences including one particular extended fight sequence uh, with Charlize versus uh, a oh, really yeah unstoppable killing machine dude type thing is just amazing. Amazing. I mean, like, raid level amazing. Um, those action sequences is great and I really enjoyed it, but it left me cold and the plot baffled me and hurt my brain. You say it's very Bondian. I didn't really get that at all. I think this is a cooler film than any Bond film has ever been. Oh, that's but true. It, It's deliberately cool and I think maybe sometimes a little bit too self-consciously cool and a little... Overreaching in terms of its coolness at times.
1: Sometimes its music is very on the nose.
0: It like yeah, it's super like, on the nose. Like Symecas-y on yeah, the nose. It is. But I really liked Charlize. I thought she was fantastic. Um, I, I thought uh, James McAvoy was very very good as as you know <laughs> Colonel Straight and Narrow, whatever his face, whatever his name is, and uh, great action sequences. By the way,
1: we're not giving anything away here. No, we're not. That is 100% in the trailer.
0: Yeah. It's not even in the trailer. The first time you see this guy is basically like he's doing something really shifty. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, But the question is is he actively working against her or with her? Is he shifty
1: in a good way or shifty in a bad way?
0: And is she shifty at all or is anyone shifty? Can anyone be trusted? And you know who can be trusted? Eddie Marsan, who has an excellent mustache in this film for for a while at least. (laughs) And. he could be trusted. Action sequences are good. But I just wonder if the second time I see it whether it's going to really you know, really get me to the point where I love John Wick now and I think yeah. John Wick 2 is one of the best films of the year.
1: It, it could be. And I'll be honest, I gave this three stars but it, that okay. is a very high three and yeah. I did flirt for a long time with a four. Yeah. Uh, and I went back and forth between the two and I decided if I gave it four I'd have to spend a while explaining why you might not agree with me. Yeah. Whereas if I gave it three there's no way you can argue with that.
0: But I think so. if you like John Wick you'll like this movie. Oh right?
1: yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um...
0: Cool. Cool. I think this week, this this is a week of uh, three stars that could easily go up depending on your, your mood and Absolutely. the time of watching. Yeah. Annabelle Creation is a, you know, it is a studio horror film that has all the, the drawbacks of a studio horror film. But if it gets you in the right mood, you will jump and scream and shriek in all the right places and you will come out thinking that was a great time. Uh, a ghost story may get you in the feels, it may get you in the thinks, but sooner or later it's going to get you. And Atomic Blonde, I think, is is a superior action movie, and I cannot wait to see what David Leach does with Deadpool 2. So, fingers crossed. So, you know, if you're feeling in a good mood, give everything an extra star this week. Go on. That's courtesy of Uncle Chris. And that's it for this week's Emperor Podcast brought to you by Sky Atlantic. Be sure, of course, to watch out for their epic new TV drama Tin Star with Tim Roth and Christina Hendricks. And as I mentioned before, all 10 episodes will be available to binge watch at your pleasure from the 7th of September uh, only, of course, on Sky Atlantic and also weekly, every Monday on Sky Atlantic as well. Uh, it is not to be missed. Uh, and join us next week for more formulated fun where we'll be joined by the one and only Stanley Tucci. Oh yes. The Tooch himself will be here to talk about his new film, Final Portrait. Uh, Phil, I'm gonna to be tooching myself in excitement. All right, what oh. about you? You gonna tooch yourself?
1: I'm there's no right answer
2: to that question. No. I'm gonna interview him. You're not gonna Okay. Well that's what I meant.
0: It's yeah. a different thing, Chris. Uh, okay. Um until the momentous occasion <laughs> it is goodbye from Phil. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Helen.
1: Phil's still frowning at that joke. (laughs) Goodbye.
0: And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to watch Arseholes at Night. Um, I've just Googled it. It looks very interesting. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye.